Uh, I, the thing was that I, I, did, I heard about that. I did the same thing. I said, what, what, what is this? And then John said, I'll, I'll read this script and, you know, <laughs> hang in there. Well, it, 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 it tickled my funny bone, and, it, and, it, and I thought this could be great action and very different. I thought this, this, yeah, this could be very different, and I thought it would be a blast to work with John. And the only thing was, how do you play the character? How do you play this guy? Because he was written pretty straight. So John said, we can't, we can't do him straight. And I said, I know. I mean, you know, he'll get left in the dust. He'll say, well, he said, I want you to go out there. And I said, uh, well, i gotta f got to find some character here, you know, and, and, and let him roll. And uh, started, you know, working on it. Started working on uh, thinking about guys and feelings that would make this guy a blast to watch with the movie. And uh, I like Jack Burton a lot. I mean, I like what he is, and I like, I like the way he fits into this movie. And I think he's different. I mean, I think he's as different as the movie is. I think he's a hero who falls on his ass, gets back up, keeps coming at you, thinks he knows what he's doing. It's way over his head. It doesn't make any difference. Blast forward, go get him, and don't worry about it. a bomb podcast talking to whoever's listening it's like i told my last co-host i says buddy i never drive faster than i can see besides that it's all in the reflexes you just listen to not a bomb and take our advice on a dark and stormy night when some wild-eyed critic grabs your neck taps the back of your head up against a movie theater wall and he looks you crooked in the eyes and asks if you think that movie's a bomb you just stare that big sucker back in the eye and remember what troy and brad always say is it a bomb no, sir. You just have bad taste. Hey, folks. Welcome to episode 50 of Not A Bomb Podcast. I am your host, Troy. And with me is Brad. Brad, how you doing tonight? All aboard the Porkchop Express. Woo -woo. Oh, <laughs> yes, this is, uh, is going to be fun. A, we hit 50 episodes, which I can't believe. Uh, I, I find that mind-boggling. So I'm pretty excited about that number. But more importantly... We have a uh, special guest tonight. I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna really talk about a big film like Big Trouble in Little China, we we had to bring in somebody special. Um, so I'm super excited to introduce none other than probably the one of the coolest kids I ever have met. Um, and I'm a little biased on this, right? So uh, I'm, I'm super excited to kind of introduce to all of our listeners my son Cameron. Cameron, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, a little bit nervous, but good all around. Well, hey, you, you sound great. Yeah. <laughs> no, hey, I, this is intimidating for me um, for, for two reasons. One, we're, we're talking about a film that, full disclosure, I don't know about you, Brad, I, I don't have a critical <laughs> bone in my body against this thing. Hey, guess, hey, guess what, Troy? What? It's, it's, not, it's not a bomb. It's not a bomb. <laughs> it's not, I mean, this is a celebratory episode, so yes. this is not a bomb. Uh, absolutely not. And, and you know, secondly, we had a lot of fun bringing Angel on for Zodiac. That was a movie that she wanted to talk about. And when I gave you a list of movies, Cameron, you, you immediately gravitated to this one, which I was super excited. But I'm, I'm really excited just to talk movies with you and give everybody a taste of, like, what it's, what it's like in our household after we watch something and, and we share our thoughts. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, Brad, it, this, this movie's not a bomb. It's probably going to be a lot of us just talking about how awesome it is, sharing some fun information and trivia. But more importantly, we're, we're kind of curious, Cameron, about, hey, is, is, this, is this a film that is just tapping into our 80s nostalgia? Or would somebody of your age group or, or a little bit younger than what Brad and I, would they gravitate to it? So we'll get to that in a second. But Cameron, um, I know you've listened to a few episodes, so you know what's coming next, right? Yes, I know. It's the questions. It's the questions. <laughs> so one of our biggest things is the first time we get a host on uh, or a co-host, we, we kind of want to level set and ask a few questions so people just get to know you a little bit better, right? And understand your movie taste. So Brad and I came up with a list of questions specifically designed for you, okay? Some of these questions are brand new. Nobody's <laughs> ever gotten these questions, so you should feel pretty special. But this first one, it's... it's um, it's some. It's a question we've asked a few guests, and, and I'm curious because I'll be honest, even though we live together and I've known <laughs> you all your life, I, I don't know how you're going to answer some of these, so I'm, I'm kind of excited. So first question, I'm going to start. What is your favorite movie of all time? <sighs> it's a tough one. I, I don't know. It depends on my feeling. I mean, like, there are tons of great movies out there, but it really just depends on, hey, am I just wanting to, you know look at something really, really depressing, or <laughs> am I wanting to, you know, laugh a little bit, like in Big Trouble Little China, which okay. I laughed a lot. <laughs> right. So what's what right now is, is one of your top films that you just really like? Uh, one film I always keep thinking about is just Streets of Fire. That's something that will always be on my mind. What? <laughs> <laughs> did, Brad, did you hear that? <laughs> wow. Wow. I okay. wasn't expecting that one. Streets of Fire, really? Yeah. What, what is it about Streets of Fire? Because I, I know I introduced Oh, that. hey, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Why Streets of Fire? That, that's it's, fascinating. It's one of the most fun, energetic films that is just so unique that I absolutely fell in love with. Wow. Do you, do you, do you hear that, Brad? It, it, He's not wrong. It is unique. And yeah. Okay. That's, that is an awesome pick. Okay. I'm a little bewildered right now, but that's okay. I am too. I, I thought, honestly, I thought you'd pick something like baby driver. Cause I know for a while there you were watching like that every oh, day, yeah. but uh, streets of fire. Hey, I'm, I'm proud. All right. Good choice. Brad, you got a question for him? I, I, I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> See, list a few films you've watched over the week, or the last few weeks, uh, just to kind of give people a, like a slice of what you watch from time to time. Uh, I recently just watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That was fantastic. That, uh, that's one you just wanted to watch out of the blue? Yeah. Okay. You I watched just, that on your own? Yeah. All right. It was, it was a, a bittersweet ending, I'll say that. Okay. Uh, I obviously just watched... Uh, Big Trouble Little China twice in like three days. <laughs> okay. And then I've been mostly doing baseball stuff, so I haven't had the chance to do much. Do you remember the last couple of films you watched before One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Uh, I know we went to see Nobody this year, and that was amazing. Is that your favorite movie this year? Oh, most definitely. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah. What's your favorite baseball movie, Cameron? Baseball movie? Yeah. Uh, I would... I don't think I really watch baseball movies more than just the baseball sport. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I, li I like Moneyball a lot, so there you go. <laughs> um, so here's another question. Now, this one's just brand new. It's just for you. And I'm, I'm curious how you're going to answer this one, too. Uh, <laughs> so who is your 
favorite Asian actor or actress? Now, I ask this because I know in our house I've, I've exposed you and Angel to a ton of Asian films, and we watch those on a regular basis. So, And I'm, I will not be upset <laughs> if you say anybody you know else other than Jackie Chan, because I know that's my personal favorite. But I'm really curious. So you, you've grown up with all of these Asian action films, et cetera. Do you, do you have like a personal favorite actor or actress? My personal favorite actor that is actually pretty recent is Don Lee. Ooh, from uh, The Outlaws, yeah. I think. And what was the uh, Unstoppable mm-hmm. was a newer one. And then he did. Uh, have you seen those films, Brad? I'm not. I'm oh. not. Uh, well, you've seen Train to Busan, right? I have. Yes. Yes. Okay. So most people will know Don Lee from Train to Busan. He's the larger um, dad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 He's yep. gonna be in the Eternals, I think, the Marvel film yeah, coming he's going up. To be. Yeah. But yeah, if if you have not seen The Outlaw, uh, it's on Amazon Prime right now. Um, it is fantastic. I, I know you watched that a few times, didn't oh, you? Oh, that was fantastic. I think it's my favorite Don Lee movie. Oh, it's such a good point. Uh, man, that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's proud dad right here. I'm just always chopping onions. No, 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 Donald Yen. Donald Yen didn't make your list. No, uh, no, Donnie. That's okay. That's all right. All right. Don, yeah. Lee's, Don Lee's a great pick. Okay, go ahead. Uh, let's talk about Ninja Turtles. Who is your favorite Ninja Turtle and why? Uh, I can't remember his name, but he had the orange bandana. Uh, uh that's Michelangelo. He's Michael the party Angel. dude. Oh yeah, he was my favorite growing up as a kid because he was so energetic, and as a kid. I don't think I could ever sit down for more than five minutes. <laughs> this is true. So I'll, I'll embarrass Cameron for a second. His favorite thing to do just on his own was to fate, uh, was it f- fight fake imaginary bad guys. So he would just be in the basement um, just doing karate moves, right? Beating yep. up imaginary bad guys like crazy. And you would do that for hours just until it was the coolest thing ever. I so. think I have for you to blame blame for that because i grew up watching action movies you yes know, from you well I, hey you, or <laughs> he you learned it from he learned it from you dad <laughs> of course i fight fake bad guys all the time <laughs> um i'll i'll tell you what brad i i think we have some bonus questions for him so yeah, you take the next one and i'll get the last two okay sounds good so uh the whole idea of this podcast is to talk about movies <clears throat> that bombed mm. um you've already picked streets of fire which is one that was a bomb that we reviewed already mm. And that's fine if you want to list that as an answer for this question, um, but you may have another one. What is your favorite movie bomb that you would recommend to everybody? Uh, Streets of Fire is a bit more unique, so I probably wouldn't recommend it to everybody because I know a lot more people are serious. Okay. But for people who love stupid humor, it would have to be the wrestling movie. Uh, uh- are you talking about Ready to Rumble? Ready to Rumble. Brad, Brad, do you hear this? <laughs> what oh, is going on? I don't know, but it's awesome. I don't like it at all. <laughs> oh, come on. If, if Max, when he gets on, what kind of movies? Is, is he going to be picking Pulp Fiction and everything? Yeah. I'm still debating on like when, like what age is Pulp Fiction appropriate? That's a good point. You're, you're going through Tarantino. You haven't seen all of Tarantino films, right? Oh, no. So you've been exploring those too. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a favorite Tarantino so far? Uh, Kill Bill or Pulp Fiction? Yeah. There you go. Does that make you happy, Brad? It does. It does. I mean, okay. there's really not a wrong answer, except for like, if you said Hateful Eight was your favorite, I might question, oh, but no. you know, no. Yeah. No one likes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the next two, I, I don't get Troy's family on the podcast very often, so I want to get <laughs> a little personal. Uh, how many times a week do you think you roll your eyes at your dad? Maybe 
once, but that's pretty much it. I agree with him on mostly really? everything. Oh, oh, did you hear that? Little. How much little money did you pay him before he got on this pod? Like, that's what I want to know. It's a, mini, it's a little clone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the last question is, uh, what's your dad's best dad joke? Uh... I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't. He just makes a lot of stupid jokes, but not necessarily dad jokes. Okay. All yeah, right. I, I will say I get made fun of my humor quite often <laughs> in this house from everybody. Everybody gangs up on me for for stupid things, which I find funny. But that's <laughs> that's all right. That's probably the one time a week he rolls his eyes too when I try to be funny. And everybody in our house will agree Cameron is the funniest out of all of us. So perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. See exactly. Well, awesome. So what is he a clown? Is he here to amuse you, Troy? No, he's not clowns. <laughs> There's no clowns. <laughs> no clowns whatsoever. Uh, Brad, what are we talking about tonight? Oh, boy. We are talking about um, one of the most uh, cult-followed films of all time. Uh, it is Big Trouble in Little China by uh, one John Carpenter, um, starring Kurt Russell. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things going on with this movie. Um, where do you want to begin? Well, we've already had a John Carpenter film on the show. We actually started talking about him as a director when we did Memoirs of an Invisible Man. And I, I think you watched that one with me as well, right? Yeah, Cameron? I watched that did, with you. Did you like that one? Oh, it was fantastic. Oh, it was fantastic. Did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> There's an echo in the room. I'll just sit know. over here in my corner by myself. <laughs> So John Carpenter is a big favorite, I think, of mine. I know it's of yours, Brad. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, Cameron, how much John Carpenter you've actually been exposed to or if you even recognize when you're watching a John Carpenter film. Do you, do you know him as a director? or is it? Uh, I know some of his films as a director, but I don't know him personally, like what he does that stands out as him. In okay. Him alone. Okay. That's fair. Um but yeah, you're right, Brad. I mean, th this is one of the films that when you talk about John Carpenter in general, he, he just has a big cult following. And this one and The Thing and some others that, you know, Halloween, obviously, that that's the big one. Uh, and, it, and it's hard to go through his filmography and pick a favorite. He's, he's kind of been all over the place. But we're, we're going to try and tackle this one. And I think we kind of addressed this at our, our last show last week's show there, there's what 850,000 podcasts out there and i think yeah approximately yeah there's about 850,000 shows on this particular title in and of itself so i don't think we're going to bring anything new in terms of film history about this or uh, even some of the numbers or the statistics or trivia about it i think what we are going to do is to kind of tackle it from a, a a bit of a different perspective and, and rely on you cameron a little bit we have questions for you about the relevancy of this film in, in 2021 versus 1986 uh but we'll also you know go through it and probably gush over it for an hour or so but i i figure as always we we generally start with the financials and even the critical uh, perception of this film when it got released. So, Brad, let's kick it over to you. When this sucker came out in 1986, how did it perform at the box office? Um, not great. So it comes out uh, early July of 86. It is sort of rushed to the theaters. Um, I guess we want to say, like, The Golden Child was has a premise similar to this film. Uh, they wanted to avoid that film and uh, get this out before that. Golden Child goes on to make i think it was like 76 million dollars at the box office um big trouble little child makes 11 um on a about somewhere between 19 to 25 uh, million dollar budget 
and I read a lot of interviews with even with uh, Carpenter and Russell, and they both kind of questioned like, it didn't do well because how do you market this film? Like, what is this movie? Um, and I agree, like it's an odd film to try to market to people, even though like Kurt Russell and Carpenter had like made films together before, and but neither of them huge films. Um, so the opening weekend was two million, uh, two point seven million dollars. Um, again, on its way to eleven million dollars, which is is sad. One of the things I found really disheartening is when I looked at the reviews because um, I had never looked at any reviews of this film because I just thought Big Trouble Little China is one of the best films ever made. Right. Um, sits at a seventy eight on Rotten Tomatoes with the critics and Mister Roger Ebert does not like this movie very much, which I that's find surprising. offensive. Yeah, like, that it surprises is, me. It is shocking. Like he was talking about like how he didn't pull for any characters or anything like that. And like, if one of the things this film gets right is like feeling for the characters. Like I, I feel maybe if you don't like the overall, like the over the top action and things like that, I can get that. But to like harp on the characters, I found kind of disappointing. And even the audience score of 82%, I find extremely low. So 78% with the critics and 82 with the fans, you know, I, I think maybe in our circle, I might be a little bit blinded by all the people that we follow and talk to. Cause I mean, I think this is one of the top 15 best films of all time. So it's, <laughs> it's hard to, uh, to, to kind of rationalize with people when they don't see it that way. So yeah. And so we talked about it trying to get in front of golden child, uh, do you know of some of the films that came out in 86 in, uh, in July, Troy? Cause I'm sure you probably saw lots of these. I, in the theater. so I, if I remember correctly and I'm out of the three of us, I think I'm the only one that saw it in the theater. And I remember specifically where I would have been three years old. So yes. yes and yeah. Cameron would have not been alive. So nope. Cameron, by process of elimination, yeah, Cameron was not even a thought at this point. So I remember seeing it at uh, town West cinemas in Wichita, Kansas and I remember it being a pretty amazing summer because I think this was also the summer that Aliens came out. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Alien comes out 16 days after Big Trouble in Little China, yep. which might play into it as well. Um, it opens with um, About Last Night, that comedy, um, which I think is a great – I think About Last Night is one of the best 80s comedies um, ever made. I love About Last Night. The Great Mouse Detective. I think that's a good movie, too. That's actually a really uh, good Disney animated film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then we said Aliens. Um, we also have Heartburn, which I'm not sure I know Heartburn, but it made $25 million. So it must have been something. Uh, Maximum Overdrive. Wow. Which I think is, is a terrible, yes. I, it's a cheesy, terrible film, but it's kind of fun. That's the AC that has a lot of ACDC in it, right? Yeah, the out the soundtrack albums. I mean, yes. I mean who made who? Yep. I mean, yep. Oh yes. And then uh Flight of the Navigator. Um I never got into that one, but yeah. No, no. Um but I, again, just to kind of go into a little background, I think they like started principal production on this film in October and literally no, I think that it ended in October or started in October, and then um is out in July. So, well, cause it had four months of post-production. So yeah, maybe it, this was probably like a six month turnaround, eight months, six, eight months. Yeah. It's, it's a short turnaround because like you yep. said, it was 
uh, it was specifically going up against Eddie Murphy and Paramount Studios when they were trying to do The Golden Child. And and we'll talk a little bit about that when yeah. we get into the, the production of it. But you're right. It, it went into production in October 1985, so yeah. it could open in July of 1986. Uh, and, and I think it is important to kind of know that when this thing was coming out was the same time that Aliens, from a marketing perspective, was ramping up. So Aliens and Big Trouble in Little China both came from Fox Studios. Yeah, and you're you're if you have not unlimited amount of marketing dollars and you say we can either market Big Trouble in Little China or we can market Aliens, it's easy. It's I mean it's super easy. Alien was a huge hit. The sequel to Aliens is one of the best sequels of all time. So, you know, I'm not faulting Fox for what they did. Um, it's just unfortunate for Big Trouble in Little China. Right. Well, so let's talk about the people who made the film. And we've already talked a little bit about John Carpenter. So John Carpenter, we, we won't go through the entire filmography, but leading up to Big Trouble in Little China, he had done The Thing in 1982. You're, you're a fan of The Thing, Cameron? Oh, very much a fan. Uh, how many? Yeah, you've seen it in the theater now, right? As I believe a, so. Okay. What, is it, I don't know, how does it rank in terms of like horror sci-fi? Is it top five for you or is it? It's probably about like, it's at least top 20, but... Okay. It's fantastic. It's fantastic? Oh, yeah. Do you like that, or do you like The Thing from Another World more? Uh, <laughs> I know where your sister lives. They're, they're very different in for what they're trying to go for. Okay. But I always have to say John Carpenter's, just because I love the special effects so much. Yeah, the practical, the practical effects separate it for me. Yeah, it's just fantastic, Like even just to like watch. Oh, I agree. So the the studio was not happy with him on the thing because it's another box office bomb. I'm sure that'll show up on the show at one point. Uh, but he kind of rebounded a little bit with 1983's Christine. That wasn't a huge hit, but it had you know more favorable reviews. Critics were very harsh to the thing in 82. But keep in mind, I mean, our aliens were friendly. That's what the audiences wanted. They didn't want the gooey, you know, ripping people to pieces kind of aliens it's but, kind of funny that the critics have to always kind of go back and reevaluate carpenter like when you look back in like 30 years it's like oh actually we missed on big trouble we missed on the thing yeah. we didn't appreciate uh, escape from new york as much as we probably should it's like all these films of his you know critics just seem to i don't know dismiss immediately and then go back and be like oh yeah maybe i was wrong on that one it definitely he's, like, it, he's the like the one director i think that comes back around and people have to like reevaluate his work. Yeah. It's weird. The ones that he is most famous for are usually the biggest bombs and his other films that are really good, but they don't carry the weight of something like the thing or big trouble were the ones that were financially successful at the time. So what, what really kind of got him back in the good graces of the studio was 1984 Starman with Jeff Bridges. So it, it was a huge, I want to say huge box office success, but it was, it was a you know, substantial moneymaker for the studio. It got great you know, critical acclaim, and uh, you know, everybody just kind of fell in love with that film. So you know, Fox is looking at John Carpenter and saying, hey, we've got another big budget sort of um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is kind of what they were going for at the time, and decided to hand over Big Trouble in Little China to him in 86. But we'll talk about this. This is the movie that John Carpenter, after he made it kind of threw up the middle finger to the studios and said, I don't want to work in a, in a film studio anymore. Yep. And so he kind of left the major studios to go on to make um, Prince of darkness in 87 
and they live in 1988. And so if he doesn't leave, like he doesn't make they live like they live is impossible to make behind big budget studios. Like it is a big middle finger to, you know, consumerism, things like that. So it is uh, impossible for that film to be made without him going independent, which I appreciate. I love they live. And I think you just discovered they live right with yeah. Roddy Piper. Mm-hmm. So you, you had the honor to, to meet Roddy Piper in person too. Oh yeah. He's like a big Cully bear. Yeah. <laughs> he was, he's amazing. Sadly, sadly he's gone. I know. Sadly, we, yeah. I, I think we met him a year before he passed in yeah. Indianapolis and we were asking him about uh, back in action with Billy Blanks. Cause I think, I think so, at yeah. that, that time we were fascinated with that movie. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, John Carpenter's the director, the writers, Gary Goldman, David Z. Weinstein. Now we'll, we'll talk about this when we get into the production. Those are the, the two, um, credited for the screenplay, but WD Richter gets, um, a credit for adaptation. And that's a name that should be familiar to anybody who listens to the podcast, because we just talked about his movie, the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension from 1984. That was a few episodes ago. Um, that was that was actually our first in person. Yeah, buddy. So uh, in my kitchen, in your kitchen after that lovely <laughs> Domino's pizza. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's some other things that we're going to talk about behind the camera. So you got cinematography done by Dean Cundy. So this guy, I, I don't know, he sort of represents the 80s in terms of cinematography because leading up to this, he was doing movies like Romancing the Stone in 1984, um, which if you liked One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is Danny DeVito and mm-hmm. Michael Douglas, if you know that's more serious dramatic, check out Romancing the Stone. It, I mean, it's Michael Douglas in front of the camera instead of producer. And uh, Danny DeVito, I mean, we're all Danny DeVito fans in this yeah. house. Um, but he does Romancing the Stone in 84, Back to the Future in 1985, cinematography on that. Comes around, does Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, follows Big Trouble in Little China up with Project X from 1987. I'll show you Project X. It's, it's a <laughs> Is that mon- the Jonathan Kaplan film? It, it's a monkey movie with Matthew Broderick and Helen Hunt. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm talking about. Yep, yep, yep. So that one's good. Then he does. That one's good. It, it is good. <laughs> It's Who Framed Roger Rabbit in 88, which Dean gets nominated for an Academy Award for Best Cinematography. So we've got some talent, you know, uh, who's shooting this thing. And I love this one, too. I always forget that Dean Kundi also is a cinematographer on 1989's Roadhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Patrick Swayze. And you guys say that title like Roadhouse. 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 Yep. That's how you say that. He also did Jurassic Park. He did do Jurassic Park, too. Yep. Yeah. Music by John Carpenter and Alan uh, Howarth, which we'll talk about the soundtrack. Uh, I've been posting some pictures of the Mondo uh, vinyl that I have, which is fantastic. A, just because to actually have that uh, soundtrack uh, available to listen to today is amazing. But more importantly, the poster that they did for that uh, vinyl album is, is amazing. The other thing I want to mention is Fight coordinator for Big Trouble in Little China is James Liu. So he has 138 stunt credits, 171 acting credits. If you see James Liu, you'll, he's just been in tons of TVs and and movies, never really is a main star. Um, But he got his start back in 1974 on the Kung Fu TV series. He's been working all the way up to today. Um, Probably one of the more recent films that everybody had seen might be Milan from 2020. So he's in that as well as an actor. Um, But for Big Trouble in Little China, he's also an associate producer on the film. And he stars in the film. He's uh, Chang Sing number one. 
So when you when you see the main Chang Si guy, that's James Liu. So he did all the fight choreography, and um, that that's some of the highlights of the of the people behind the scenes. So let's talk about. I, I also want to mention one thing before we move on. This yeah. has one of the best movie posters of all time. Yes, like done by who? Drew Struzan um, is one of the more iconic movie posters. I think it's perfect for the film. Um, you know, I love Struzan. I mean, he did Blade Runner. He did all the films that I really love, but this one is just top notch. And I know you have a print and I'm really jealous, but it's amazing. Yeah. We're, we're staring at it right now. <laughs> it's something I've had for a long, long time. And it's probably one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, between that one, the Rocketeer and Iron Giant, I think, um, and, and even Raiders, those are probably my top four movie posters. And two of those are done by the same guy. So, uh, well, let's talk about in front of the camera in look, it's, it's Kurt Russell movie, right? Yeah. I yes, mean, it is. <laughs> yes. I, I don't know about you guys. I, I love, like love Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's in anything. I automatically love it. He automatically gets three stars. If Kurt Russell's in it. Um, what about you, Cam? Big, big Kurt oh, Russell fan. I absolutely love him. And his hair is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is, this is peak Russell hair in this movie. Um, yeah, this is like pistol whipping your grandma for me. Like if Kurt Russell's in your film is adding a star. So, oh yeah, we found out about that last week. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I, anything with Kurt Russell, he's just a treasure, man, like an absolute treasure. Yeah. And most people will know him from a lot of the John Carpenter work, like escape from New York, the thing. Um, and, and a lot of newer people will know him for things like Tombstone. I mean, he's been Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> amazing films. I, I just, when you go back and look at his filmography, he started on the TV series for Dennis the Menace in 1962. I mean, this guy's been acting forever. Uh, and, and around this time period, in 82, he does a thing with John Carpenter. But then he goes into sort of a dramatic, um, I don't know, series of films. He does Silkwood in 1983, Swing Shift in 84, the mean season in 85 then does a comedy the best of times in 1986 and then does big trouble in little china in 86 as well and then goes to overboard in 87 with goldie Hawn, which is it's another fun 80s comedy film but the thing about kurt russell is the guy's range i mean anything from all the disney films that he was doing as a teenager up to the series dramatic stuff to the action adventure things like sylvester stallone's tango and cash i mean um, heck, uh, Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. He's probably the best thing about that film, in my opinion. Yes, yes, by far. <laughs> I like the uh, film Soldier from, I think it's a 98, yes. maybe. A uh, really weird sci-fi film, but it's I love Russell in that film. I don't like, like the 3,000 Miles to Graceland. I'm not a big fan of that. I know that comes after, but, you know, for the most part, I'm all in on Kurt Russell. I, I agree. He's one of the, if you put, if I see his name in something, I'm automatically going to watch it. So I, I just, I know he's great. He's, he's amazing. Now, now he's in like the fast and furious franchise. So it's like, he's cashing that check too. Yeah. He plays the, I don't, I don't know what you would call it. Just the guy. He's Mr. Nobody. Mr. Oh yes. That's right. He's handing out the tools or the mission. Come on, man. Come on. You got to um, know you're fast and the furious. I guess. I don't know. Um, the other one we get to talk about is Kim Cattrall as Gracie Law. So about this time period, she was doing raunchy comedies. So she was known for things like Porky's, which we'll, we'll get to that in a few years, Cameron. Um, Police Academy, 1984. City Limits in 1984. Turk 182 and 85. 
um, which is not a bad film. Does Big Trouble in Little China in 86. And then another one uh, that I remember seeing, uh, Mannequin in 1987. Yeah, Mannequin. So <laughs> it, it is funny to see Kim Cattrall's like early filmography compared to now she's mostly known for what, Sex in the City? Yes. Okay. Uh, what was her character's name? Samantha. She was Samantha. Okay. Never see. You've actually watched an episode of Sex in the City? I just know through osmosis, man. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I promise. I, Cameron, <laughs> have you ever seen an episode of Sex in the City? I don't know. It I, must have I, been I, if mom watched it, but that's it. Okay. I want to say like Sex in the City, you know, because I was big into the Sopranos and they were on at the same time. So I always remember seeing promos for Sex in the City, like right before the Sopranos was coming on or vice versa. So and whatever. Yeah, I can't speak to the quality of it. I'm pretty sure nobody gets kicked in the face, so it's <laughs> not going to be on my watch list anytime soon. Okay, so another person we can talk about in front of the camera, Dennis Dunn as uh, Wang. He had sort of a, a big breakout under Michael Cimino's, I think was the director for Year of the Dragon in 1985. And then uh, Big Trouble in Little China in 1986, followed that up with Last Emperor in 1987. He's worked with Carpenter a couple times. He He's just, I, I don't know, outside of the John Carpenter stuff and maybe Year of the Dragon, I, I really just don't remember him. And quite honestly, anytime you say Dennis Dunn, I automatically think of... of oh yeah, Chimino. he was also in Warriors of Virtue. But but this is his movie. I I'm always shocked that he is like not like a bigger name. I like agree. he doesn't yeah. do more. No, like his film credits are like pretty short, and it's like oh man, like you deserved more. You really deserved more. I, I agree. I I think if you watch the Shout Factory, uh, which by the way, we'll digress for a minute. The Shout Factory Blu-ray, the two disc set. If you love this film, you have to own that version of it. Disc 2 is hours upon hours of interviews with everybody who worked on this film. And there's a great interview with Dennis Dunn. Stuff that I didn't know in terms of he almost gave up on acting. And, you know, he, I think it was marketing or finance. And, and he was really good at that. So he was just going to go into that uh, profession. But do we, do we want to get into this now? Can we just go ahead and get this out of the way? What's that? Jackie Chan was supposed to be in this movie. <clears throat> yes. So, okay, I want to know this. Yep. If Jackie Chan is in this movie, this is not only the best movie of all time, but, like, you never watch anything else. If Jackie Chan is in Big Trouble in Little China, this is the end-all, be-all of movies for you. So I want to save. If you have Kurt Russell and Jackie Chan <laughs> on the screen together, <laughs> yeah. I don't it is high fly time for your mass, is yeah. all I'm saying. I've, I, don't, I don't know. I, would, uh, I don't know if I can make it through the movie. I'd pass out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask Cameron. So Jackie Chan, do, Dennis Dunn or Jackie Chan? Do you think Jackie Chan would have done a better job in this film over Dennis Dunn? Uh, I think they would have done about the same, to be honest, because he doesn't, he doesn't do what Jackie Chan mostly does, like his character in this movie. So I think he would just do what Dennis Dunn would be doing. Yeah, I mean, we can we can kind of talk about this when we get to the performances, but I've always known Jackie Chan was, um, I guess, John Carpenter's kind of first choice, and they they went with Dennis Dunn on this one. But you know, I'll I'll say it now, I I don't know if I could see Jackie Chan as as Wang Chi in this, especially when we kind of talk about where I, where I think this movie is very successful. So um, it, especially for Jackie Chan '86, 
yeah. his English wasn't the best is kind of the reason why he didn't get it right is kind of what I understand. Yeah, it, it wasn't the best, but I think he was at a different time as a performer. So you, you got to keep in mind. I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, the, this time of police story. Yeah. So and then the, he, another person in front of the camera, James Hong, uh, as, as Lopan, David Lopan. Now, one of the best things that's happened uh, for for Cameron and I, we were at a horror hound and, and James Hong was there. And they had this photo opportunity. Do you remember this? Where oh, I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> you got a picture with James Hong in his full David Lopan um, costume. And so we had a whole family like portrait done <laughs> with Lopan. <laughs> now, I thought you were going to say Mortal Kombat because David Lopan is basically the inspiration for Shang Tsung. So I thought you were going to say since you've I know you've uh, started playing Mortal Kombat a lot. So yeah. I thought, oh, he's going to talk about Mortal Kombat. But, you know, whatever. No, no, no. I want to talk about it when we got a picture with James Hong. Yeah. <laughs> he was an amazing guy. I remember having his uh, his like ring blade like right on my shoulder. And it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> were you about ready to pass out? Oh, yeah. OK. Um, yeah, he's four. This is amazing. 441 acting credits. I mean, this guy's in everything. Um, eight producer credits, five writer credits, and five directing credits. Now, a lot, a lot of them shorts, but there were two films. He he directed Teen Lust in 1978, <laughs> which just go see the movie poster for it. You can figure out what that was, and then um, a horror film in 1989 called The Vineyard. So that mm. that was kind of surprising. He was in Blade Runner. Yes, he was in Blade Runner. He's been in everything, man. I mean, he's done tons of voice acting, etc. Um, Victor Wong as Egg Shen, which the other film that I remember uh, with Victor Wong is Tremors. Uh, in 1990, he plays Walter Chang, the old uh, convenience store owner. He was also in Golden Child, so he got the double dip. Yes, he was in Golden Child. <laughs> um, kind of rounding the list out here in terms of major players, we got Kate Barton as Margot. Donald Lee as Eddie Lee, uh, Peter Kwong as Rain, James Pax as Lightning. I, I do want to take a minute and recognize Carter Wong as Thunder. So he is the heavier, bulky-looking Three Storms. Uh, Carter Wong's, I mean, if, if you know anything about sort of 70s kung fu films, I mean, he got his start with Angela Mao, 1972's uh, Hapkido, which is an amazing film. He's done movies like Ninja Killer from 74, The Hand of Death. Uh, the 18 Bronzemen and Return of 18 Bronzemen, which were 1976, Flying Guillotines in 77. He's even worked with the amazing Cynthia Rothrock in Tiger Claws 3, um, which, why are you laughing? Because Cynthia Rothrock, the Tiger Claws movie series is amazing. Uh, but I'm, I'm a huge Carter Wong fan, and he's an interesting guy because not only is he just an amazing martial artist, he's he's taught like police departments and uh, everything at that point, but I mean, he's he's kind of was one of the major players for 70s uh, cinema at that time. So, and he's been around for a long time. And then, uh, last person in front of the camera, we got Al Leong as uh, Wing Kong Hatchet Man. So, I don't think he utters a line, but you know, when you see that long black hair, uh, and, and he's a henchman, and you go, oh, that's the guy from Die Hard. That's the guy from <laughs> Lethal Weapon. That's... Uh, Genghis Khan from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That that's the guy from Action Jackson. I mean, Al Leong, as soon as he shows up, you should just be excited. But yeah. So that's behind the camera, front of the camera. Let's talk a little bit about the production in history before we get into our thoughts on it. 
So the first version of the screenplay was written by Gary Goldman and David Weinstein. We talked about that. So John Carpenter was offered this project earlier and he read the script and said, it's, it's outrageously unreadable, though it had many interesting elements. That's a quote from him. So he passed the first time he looked at it. So um, what he was reading at that time was a weird Western, an actual Western, combined with Chinese fantasy elements originally set in the 1880s. And the character Jack Burton rides into town, um, gets his horse stolen, and he spends the rest of the movie trying to recover his favorite horse. So that's the premise of the Western. Well, isn't there also like a bet? He has a, a, a Chinese like friend who they make a bet. Like the bet plays a part in both of the uh, screenplays, I believe. And I want to say at the time when I was reading it, his name was going to be Wesley Prescott. He was going to be, uh, he was a Wiley Prescott. Oh, Wiley Prescott. Sorry. Yes. Um, he was like a Buffalo hunter or something like that. Um, so yeah, it was like, Set in, I mean, I think it was San Francisco. They did go yes. to San Francisco in the screenplay. So there are some things that um, kind of carry over. So it's interesting. There's a lot of oral history um, on that original script that you can go back and read. But uh, it's interesting how, you know, some of the elements kind of carry over and some of them obviously they got rid of. But yeah, the horse and the bet and kind of the, the, the you know, the white guy with the Chinese friend. And in in Lopan, Lopan was a character that's in both. So what happens is the studio brings in W.D. Richter to do a rewrite. So this is right after he works on Adventures in Buckaroo Banzai. And almost everything in the original script was discarded. Now, if you read some sources, they say everything's discarded except the Lopan story. But to your point, Brad, I think there are other elements that kind of come over, which is the bet, um, the the, at that point, I, I think you would call it like the Chinese sidekick, but... They they really just kind of scrap everything and they decide to set set it in a modern you know day story, um, and Fox wanted to deny Goldman and Weinstein the writing credit and eliminated their names from the press release. So as they're going out and pushing this out, they're they're really just talking about W. D. Richter. But in March of 1986, before the movie comes out, the Writers Guild of America determined written by credit would go to Goldman and Weinstein, and Richter would get an adaption by credit for his work on the script. And then here's the casting stuff. So Strang- I believe, so I believe that how that works is like if you don't get credit, then they don't have to pay you, right? Like that's right. It's a big issue with how you get paid. So yep. if they leave you off, that check's not coming in the mail. Yeah, and and I'm sure it has something to do with residuals and everything else. So. Yes, 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 exactly. So that's that's the screenplay background. And again, can't say this enough. If you want a full in depth uh, oral history of it, go and listen to all of the stuff that's on disc two, that shout factory, they go into a lot of detail and there's a great interview with um, WD Richter talking about his experience on it. And um, he's always just an interesting guy to listen to. I I loved all the stuff that they had, you know, him talk about with Buckaroo Banzai and and he does a, I don't know, a a good oral history on, on his participation in this as well. But for casting, this kind of gets interesting. Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson were considered for the role of Jack Burton. And ultimately, that's who Carpenter in the studio wanted to go after, but they were both too busy. Yeah, they were too too busy. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine Clint Eastwood reading this and being like, mm, "No, I can't no. imagine either of these." But but no. everybody was after you know these two actors. Uh, and the way the story goes is, you know, Carpenter's getting frustrated and just turns to Kurt Russell and is like, "Hey, you want to star in this thing?" Kurt Russell's like, "Yeah, that sounds pretty cool." <laughs> Jeff Bridges, I heard because you know. 
that Carpenter had just worked with Jeff Bridges on Starman, and he was considered as well. Yeah, um, I, and for no, the lead, nobody was coming to the table, so they really had a, a, I guess you would say, a problem trying to cast Jack Burton. So Russell just kind of does it as a favor because he he likes working with John Carpenter. Kurt Russell now, I, again, this is one of the things you read on the internet. Uh, Kurt Russell turned down the role of Connor McLeod in Highlander from 1986 to appear in this film as well, which. I'm sorry. If I love Highlander. If Kurt Russell's in that movie, it might be my favorite movie of all time. I'm not going to lie. And I don't think I've introduced you to Highlander. Yet. No, not yet. Okay. Well. Oh. I know. Hey, I, I did some pretty good parenting up to a point, but there's always a gap, right? I know. I know. Uh, we Dr. Talk- Strangelove. Yes, I know. Here we go again. <laughs> um, Jaggy Chan was considered for the role of Wang Chi. He was actually Carpenter's first choice. We talked about it. Lawrence Gordon, who was one of the producers, was actually against it, fearing that Chan's English wasn't good enough after seeing Battle Creek Brawl in The Protector. Um, and Chan eventually declined because he had sort of had enough of the Hollywood studio, especially after his experience on The Protector. So he was staying in Hong Kong making you know amazing movies like Police Story. The studio also wanted John Carpenter to hire a rock star um, for the role of Gracie Law, but Carpenter pushed for Kim Cattrall. And again, we talked about this. Cattrall at that point, you know, she was sort of known for the raunchy comedies like Porky's and Police Academy. So having her as a leading lady in a action adventure film, I, I think the studios were just not totally convinced of that, but they, they finally gave in. And we talked about this too. The movie and was, King Patrol at the time was was actually doing some stage plays as well. So she would act during the day, yes. and then leave the set, and then go and uh, do theater. Do, do, do her theater, yeah. So she was working like I think they said somewhere between like seventeen and eighteen hours a day. So yeah, she you know. she was really trying to push herself into different roles outside of stuff that you know people were sort of um, offering her at that time. And I mean, she she's. I think she's an amazing actress, but I mean, there's no denying she's also absolutely gorgeous. So I'm sure, you know, if she didn't put all that effort into to doing theater and everything else, she would have been pigeonholed into all those comedies, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you talked about this a little bit. The movie was competing against The Golden Child with Eddie Murphy over at Paramount Studios. They went into filming on October 1985 to try and get that release five months before Golden Child. And you know, side note, Carpenter was asked by Paramount Pictures to direct The Golden Child at one point, and he said nope. Um, and, you know, Golden Child was probably the more successful theatrical run versus oh, Big much, Trouble. Much better. Yep. But, you know, let's face it, Golden Child is not getting all of the, I don't know, yearly Blu-ray releases <laughs> yeah. the way Big Trouble does. Um, so I think in, you know, the marathon of things or the long run, Big Trouble wins out on that one. Um, you you kind of talked about this. I, I thought this quote was interesting from Kurt Russell. He said, this is a difficult picture to sell because it's hard to explain. It's a mixture of the real history of Chinatown in San Francisco blended with Chinese legend and lore. It's bizarre stuff. There are only a handful of non-Asian actors in the cast. So when they were finishing the film and presenting it to the studio... The studio pretty much felt the same way that Kurt Russell did, said, we don't know what this is. We have no idea how to market it. And when they initially screened the film, they didn't get it. And they actually asked Carpenter to take all the comedy out of it. So Carpenter had to go back to the editing room, take all the comedic bits, make it an entirely serious action film. And then when they screened screened it again, the studio went, okay, go put the comedy back in. 
So then he puts, you know, the cut <laughs> together with um, what he originally wanted to do. And they absolutely did not like Kurt Russell's character. They thought he was too much of an idiot. So they forced Carpenter to film that opening. So and that opening is the one thing that just feels so out of place in this movie. It stands out so much. I disagree, and I'll, I'll tell you okay. in a little bit why. Okay. But that's fine. Yeah, the opening of the film with Egg Shen in the lawyer's office was added at the request of the executives because in order to make Kurt Russell's character Jack Burton more heroic, they didn't get the idea of, of what Carpenter was doing with that character. And even like, like they wanted to kind of hype him up as like, this guy's not a bumbling idiot and yes. he's kind of likable. Yeah, keep in mind, they wanted a Raiders of the Lost Ark. They wanted another Indiana Jones with this thing. That's what they were going for. So the audience test screenings were overwhelmingly positive. As a matter of fact, all of the test screenings that they did with the cut that was going to be released, Carpenter and Russell thought they had a big hit. But the problem was the studio didn't get it. Um, people, critics were coming up to them and saying, hey, how's it feel to... Uh, be a part of like the next big summer blockbuster. And of course, Kurt Russell's like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see, et cetera, et cetera. So you had a handful of critics who really thought that this thing was going to be fantastic. The test scores for the audiences who initially got to see it, they were overwhelmingly positive, but there was little to no advertising around the film. And it got lost really in the hype leading up to Aliens. So studio yep. didn't back it. They didn't know what to do with it. And I mean, full disclosure, if you see the movie poster, I'm not quite sure what you can think you're going to walk into. Um, and even when you see the trailer that they released back in, you know, 86, it just didn't fit any type of film that was out there at that time, right? You didn't know if it was horror, action, comedy. It had everything. So I'm sure the studios were, were kind of frustrated with, like, how, how do you market this thing? Versus Golden Child, you just got Eddie Murphy, so I'm sure everybody's thinking – well, it's going to be another Beverly Hills Cop, but with Chinese mysticism, right? He wants the knife, yes. He wants the knife. So um, the last thing, and, and you've already talked about this, the three storms were partly inspiration for the popular character of Thunder God Raiden from Mortal Kombat, and David Lopan was the inspiration for the evil sorcerer Shang Tsung. So this thing has had a huge impact. Um, and, and that's really you know the history of the film leading up to it. And lo and behold, we're, what, 45, 50 minutes before we get to talk about the film. Yeah, that one guy's real pissed. <laughs> oh, sorry, man. Um, so listen, before we get into this, and, and this is what I'm really curious about, and this is where it comes to you, Cameron. I discovered this thing when I was 14 years old in the theater, fell in love with it. Every time I went to the video store, I rented, rented it all the time. Um, and Kevin and I, your, your uncle, th this was our go-to film. Uh, absolutely adore this thing and have grown up with it. Any, anything they put Big Trouble in Little China out, I, I, I buy it. Obviously, you see the four or five different versions of the Blu-ray that we own. <laughs> um, and I, I have this theory that uh, for people like Brad and I, who, and you're probably in the same boat, Brad. I mean, anything Big Trouble in Little China comes out, we're going to buy it. Absolutely, and, yes. And Shout Factory does a good job of getting our money. Because they're like, well, here's the same thing, but ooh, we got some dude to do a new cover art for it, and hey, you want it for 24 bucks? And we're like, yep, but there's nothing different in the disc, just different cover art. Yeah, then it's like, hey, here's a Scream Factory one. You're like, okay, I guess I'm getting Scream Factory now. <laughs> Gotta get that one too. So here's the question I have for you. Can, can a younger audience fall in love with this movie, or is it too weird or too 80s? 
And um, is this just going to be a film that only has an audience because dads from the 80s are forcing their kids to watch it? I, I mean, I'm curious, how many of your friends have seen it? Like, what of your age group are they discovering this thing at all? Uh, none of them would have ever seen this film just because there's only so little amount of areas you can watch this in. Okay. Like, it doesn't pop up in theaters. There's nothing talks about it online. And you can watch it on YouTube for free with ads. You can't find it unless you're specifically searching for it on YouTube. You can't find it uh, anywhere. Is, is there anything about this film that you think would... Uh, because you're, you're 15 going on 16, mm -hmm. right? I, I mean, in 2021... Is, is this a fun movie for a, a 15 or 16-year-old in 2021? I think, for me, it was fantastic, fell in love with it. But you have to really pay attention to the dialogue the entire way through. You can't just go on your phone for a second or uh, message a friend or talk to a friend. You have to be paying attention to it the entire time if you want to catch every funny moment or every action moment in it. So, I mean, even the background stunts, yeah, you can pay attention to and fall in love with it. But... You have to be paid attention the entire time. And the quick comedy that goes in between the characters, that doesn't happen in a lot of films nowadays. So you think that there's not an adequate attention span that yeah. can handle this thing today? That's what I think. Okay. Well, I mean, you've already kind of thrown a couple of adjectives about your love. So what? what <laughs> is, you, you've watched this thing twice this week. Yeah. Uh, what is your initial impression of it? I mean... My initial impression, initial impression, I I liked it, but since I was younger and I didn't really understand everything that was happening and all, everything that they were saying, and watching this a couple weeks ago when I'm 15, I was laughing the entire way through it, and it was just fantastic, and I just fell in love with it, it again. Okay. <laughs> well, Brad, did... You got to revisit it. When was the last time you saw this film? Oh, I usually watch this easily every year, like... Pretty much, you know, I, I don't know. It's like I haven't seen Big Love, Big Trouble in Little China in a few months. I'm just going to go ahead and watch it now. I will tell you, I uh, I watched it uh, Wednesday night um, just because, look, it's 100 minutes long. You know, I had some time. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to watch it. I get up Thursday morning. I didn't have to work. I'm like, okay, well, I, I want to hear Kurt Russell, you know, on the CB radio that first little bit and I'm making coffee. I end up watching it the whole thing again, Thursday morning. And it's like, Oh, I just watched this movie twice in two days and like, <laughs> didn't even really think about it. And then today I was like, Oh, I've got a little bit of time. I want to, you know, kind of go scene by scene. And then it's like, well, no, I'm just going to watch it again. Cause you know, like th this to me is the quintessential, like rewatchable movie. Um, it doesn't matter what scene I come in on it. You know, usually like back in the day it was cable TV. So like, you're 20 minutes in. Okay. I'm watching the rest of this movie regardless, you know, Oh, we're, you know, the big showdown, um, and the wedding's going on. Okay. Well, I'm watching it to the very end. Like, you know, all this stuff is just, it is just so rewatchable. There's no fat on this movie. You know, again, like Cameron was saying, like the subtlety and the comedy is something that I still pick up on. Now there's certain things that, that Kurt Russell will do as Jack Burton that like, I don't notice. And so like, even today, when they get in the elevator after taking the the drink, like when his door's shutting, like he's making the space and you're just like, that's perfect. Like it's absolutely perfect. It's funny, but it's like so subtle that you just have to kind of pick up on things. And, you know, it, I think this movie, 
don't know. It's tough. Like I, I understand why this movie did not do well. Cause it's super weird. I, I still have a really hard time understanding why critics were so harsh on it. A 76 for this movie is criminal. Like people should go to jail. <laughs> like that is a travesty against humanity. I, I'm with That's not you. hyperbole. No, no, no. I, it, for me, it's a perfect film. I, I don't throw that around very often, but like you, Brad, there, there's no fat on this thing. Uh, I felt bad for Cameron the first time. Cause he and I watched it together the first night and um, I think I was acting it out or just quoting it through the whole thing. I mean, I can literally recite this film as many times as I've seen it. So I, I think he wanted to watch it on his own <laughs> because he's, he's getting, you know, uh, big trouble in little China through the speakers. And then his dad sitting next to him, you know, saying the same lines as they're saying it. So I apologize <laughs> for that. But um, I, I don't have a critical bone in my body when it comes to this thing. I, can't, I know I can't look at this objectively because I ha I'm just smiling through the whole thing. And even though I know what's coming up, I'm still studying the scenes. And like you said, Brad, there, there's so many little things that happen in that elevator sequence right before the big showdown when they take the drink and they're all standing there. I love what Kurt Russell is doing and um, you know how Dennis Dunn is reacting. But I really love Victor Wong's expression in the front because everybody else is getting all jazzed up and he's starting to look annoyed at everybody else um, kind of, you know, hey, high-fiving and I'm feeling really good, et cetera. And you've got Victor Wong just like, all right, the, let's just, you know, get yourselves under control. I mean, it's almost like the dad putting up with the kids in, in the backseat of the car. And it's those little nuanced performances that I think you're right, Cameron. If you're, if you're texting on your phone, you're doing something on your phone, you're gonna miss all of that because it's it's the subtle things that really elevate this thing. And the other thing that I've always loved about this film, so you talked about uh, the beginning and why you think it's the weakest part of the film, kind of setting up Jack Burton as the hero. Uh, something, something has to be the weakest part of this film. You know, there, there, by default, <laughs> there has to be a weak part. I, I think inadvertently, the studio actually created a bigger jumping off point for what Carpenter was trying to do because the studio clearly wants Indiana Jones. I, I, they want an adventure film with a Caucasian white hero coming in to save the day. Uh, maybe instead of short round, you know, they get Dennis Dunn, Wang, little older version of short round. So they're, they're going for that, right? But what Carpenter ends up giving them is a deconstruction of the 80s action hero. So you've got a Caucasian guy who thinks he's the hero but ends up being the sidekick through the entire thing. I mean, this is John Wayne without a clue. Yeah, but you don't need that first. That first scene doesn't depict. Oh, I, I think it sets it up fantastic because you as a viewer never, never seeing this film, that, that first, I don't know, couple of minutes where you've got Egg who's just explaining what just happened and how important Jack Burton was to the whole thing. And you're like, oh my gosh, Jack Burton's the hero, right? And then the rest of the film, it's a great setup. The rest of the film is Jack Burton thinking that, yes, he is the most crucial part, the hero of the film, but it's actually Dennis Dunn's character who's carrying the whole thing. And I, yeah. I, I really think it, that opening, that beginning sets it up and works. And it reminds me of something 
like I, I feel like this is a fantastic companion piece to hot fuzz. Like if you were if you were going, hey, you were gonna program a double bill at a drive-in and pick two films that were just so alike in their DNA, I would put Big Trouble in Little China and Hot Fuzz together as a double billing because you get Big Trouble in Little China, which is great on an entertainment value, but it's really smart in how it deconstructs the 80s action hero um, compared to Hot Fuzz where it deconstructs the police action drama, you know, bad boys and point but you know all of those things, and I, I love that, and and that's that's my, that's one of my favorite things about it. I mean, it's a fun film, but you can take a step back from it and go, "Wow, Carpenter is really creating something unique here." In that you've got this guy where I mean, Kurt Russell's right; most of the cast is an Asian cast, and your person that you're supposed to, I don't know, kind of get behind and follow through, he's the bumbling idiot, and he doesn't know he's the sidekick. And I, I love that premise. Absolutely love it. Yeah, I, I love how it kind of plays on the tropes of like the white guy savior film because the the white guy, like one of the parts of the film, like he's knocked out for half the fight and it's like it's of his own doing. You're like, this guy's an idiot. Um, he's a lovable idiot. And I think that's another thing too. Like regardless of him being the hero or not, you're still kind of Jack Burton is infectious and like you want to be on that adventure with him, even though he isn't really the hero. I agree. I, and, and that's a great segue because I, I, I think one of you said it, it's the performances. I think you talked about this, Cameron, like the performances are what this movie's about. So I want to, I want to talk about some performances in here, starting with Kurt Russell. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on just Kurt Russell as Jack Burton in general, Cam? I think he was the perfect choice for it because he he somehow just becomes Jack Burton and like he does everything that he would, even if it's just like moving his head a little bit to react to something that like the girl was doing, like how he, she put her, his, her hand on his shoulder and she, he just kind of looks down at her hand and looks up and it was just perfect. Like I started laughing at that for, Oh, the like, right before they're going into the, to the brothel or whatever yeah. to see if they could buy, um, the, uh, Wang's girl, right? They're, yeah. they're sitting. Oh yeah. I love that scene. That, I actually had that note too. Subtle look when people are throwing information at him mm -hmm. is priceless. What, what, sa what sandwich is he eating when he's driving the truck? What kind of sandwich is Kurt Russell? What's, what kind of sandwich did Jack Burton eat? It's a ham it's like sandwich. A, just a ham sandwich? I, I think I think it was supposed to be like a big ham sandwich. Well, he's, so. okay. Yeah, he's eating a couple of things. He eats, he eats that big like ham sandwich thing. And then, oh, is and it I a, think some cookie thing. I like thought a, it was a fruit pie or. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes into the supermarket and gets dumplings, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, but his, it, well, let's talk about the CB monologues. So he, talk about- The check is in the mail. Yeah, <laughs> talk about character development in terms of, and again, I think it's fantastic to get Egg Shen sort of defending him at the beginning of the film, talking about how crucial he was, you know, leave Jack Burton alone. They owe everything to Jack Burton. And then your first introduction to Jack Burton is him giving advice on the CB radio and just being a, a total blowhard. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I absolutely love that. Just absolutely love it. I, I love everything that Kurt Russell does in this. I think he's a comedic genius. <laughs> oh, yeah. When he uh, when he's about to go into the sewers and he says, oh, I'm not afraid. And he looks away from the other two people. And then he just gives this uh, look of just afraid. And then he g <laughs> goes down. And he's like, I got this. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. The, the other reaction was um, I think it's him and Eddie and Wang. They're trying to escape. And next thing you know, a uh, couple of guys come around the corner 
And Eddie tells him, hey, safety, because he's messing with the gun. And all of a sudden, the gun goes off, right? So he plugs that guy. And Eddie goes, uh, hey, first time you ever plug somebody? And Jack Burton, A, his reaction while the gun is firing is absolutely hilarious. But then the after effect of it, when he's trying to just deal with the fact that he killed somebody, and you know that's the first time he did it. Again, Kurt Russell, absolutely the fact he didn't win an Academy Award in 86, again, oh, yeah. reason number 42 why I think the Academy Awards are BS. Kurt Russell didn't, didn't well, win. Well, when he goes into the bro- the part when he goes into the brothel, I think is one of the funniest thing- scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. Like Henry Swanson. Oh, gosh. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, that is like, it, so you know, that's the one where it's like, okay, I'm in for this ride. Like, everything up to that is like great. And then he, he goes into that. He's like the nerd, you know, like, okay, I'm on board. Like whatever happens after this, like completely on board. I don't care because this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I, I agree. I mean, Kurt's performance, it, it, this is my favorite thing about it. It, it. If you, as a viewer, first time watch, and if you've never seen this film, I am so jealous of you because I, I just, I almost want to be in the room to watch you watch this film and to see, because I, I know you're going to fall in love with it. But the thing that is so unless you're e- unless you're Ebert, uh, well, that, okay. <laughs> but even then, I think Ebert just had something bad to eat that day, and so it wasn't the film, but something just messed him up. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say Ebert was having a bad day, and he took it out on <laughs> Kurt Russell. But anyways, what makes Kurt Russell so brilliant is he is always running against your expectations, and again, it goes back to your expectations are set by what Egg is saying to the attorney at the beginning of the film, that here's your hero. And so Kurt Russell is even, you know, shooting off his mouth like he's the hero, but he's always going against your expectations. When you think he's going to break out and save the day, he fumbles. So that whole thing where he's trying to get his knife out of his boot and it flings to the side, he misses the whole fight, right? Shoots shoots the gun in the air, the rocks fall on his head, he's out. So you think he's going to be right in there with everybody else and he totally drops the ball. And then when you expect him to fumble, he miraculously comes through in just the oddest way. And I find him to be out of all of cinema history. We're talking anything ever made from when it what was the first movie, 19 whatever to 2021. Yes. He is he's the most refreshing, honest and fun character that's ever been put to celluloid in my opinion. He's up there. Jack Burton is probably like a top 10 character of all time. I, I'm safe. I'm okay with that. Do you have any other favorite Kurt Russell moments? <laughs> I love how throughout the entire film, he'll keep saying a catchphrase and then just like keep continuing with it. Like two or three times throughout the film. Like it's all in the reactions. <laughs> reflexes. It's all yeah, in the reflexes. reflexes. Yeah. Oh yeah. What a payoff. Um, and I, I love the fact you're confused as Jack Burton for the first half of the movie. And you're kind of following along with him as you know, he's learning everything that's going on. Um, and that's one of the things I like about the film too, is like, it's kind of like the Jurassic park deal. It's like, you're seeing a dinosaur, like act like you're seeing a dinosaur for the first time ever. Like he's in awe of what is going on around him and like kind of brings the audience along too. Cause if he's not buying into it, then we as the audience aren't either. So he has to be like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. So us as the audience be like, Oh yeah, this is ludicrous. Yeah, he's saying exactly what you're thinking, especially the first time you're watching this, right? His reaction yeah, is, yes, is your yes, reaction. Yeah. He, he's yeah. just speaking what's in your mind. Uh, and you've already mentioned this. Name a better, I don't know, a hair 
on a man <laughs> in film history than Kurt Russell's hair in this movie. I challenge pick, pick anybody who has better hair than Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China. You can't do it. Yeah, no, you can't do it. Brad, anything? No, you uh, I, I I don't know, man. Henry Cavill on his best day could not match Kurt Russell in in his Big Trouble in Little China look. I'm just I'm calling it. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. You you with me on that? Did I peer pressure you into that decision? No, you didn't peer pressure. I mean, it's good hair. It's, okay. Okay. It's um, perfect hair. What about Dennis Dunn? What what are your I mean he's he's the hero. What do you think about him? Uh I think he was fantastic. Even just like you wouldn't expect like a really good like action sequence from this film. Like you think it's a lot of just like comedy, like quick comedy. But then like when you get him on screen, he's actually really good at what, at what he does. And it's just surprising. Oh, I agree. I so I kind of hinted at it. I don't I'm glad Jackie Chan's not in this film. Mhm. I I can't see anybody being Wang except Dennis Dunn. And, and I think the problem is because Dennis Dunn is, he's the man of action, right? He can actually do everything that he says he's going to do. And he's very serious. He, he Except for break that bottle with the knife. Right. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I think if Jackie Chan were in that part, I don't think Jackie Chan, how do I say this? Jackie Chan is hard pressed to do something subtly, in my opinion. I, I mean, is that a fair assessment? I mean, you're the Jackie Chan guy. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna come at Jackie Chan with you on this well, podcast. And, and I'm, I'm trying to say, like, Jackie Chan is is the most amazing action uh, superstar director, everything else. But I think what makes Dennis Dunn so good is that he really steps up to be the hero, and is a perfect foil for Kurt Russell's sort of Jack Burton, but he, he just sneaks in there and does it and he does it with style. He gets the job done and he's serious when he needs to be serious. And I think Jackie Chan would in at in 86, try to interject a little bit of comedy or do things a Jackie Chan style. And I, I don't think that style would work in big trouble in little China. It two would, big, per, two big personalities probably kind well, of. Yeah. I, I, I going at it. I, I kind of so. Yeah, you kind of need like Wang to be a little bit more subdued in a way to kind of again because we're going into this movie thinking that we're seeing a white guy be the savior, and it's not. And having kind of Wang be a little bit more subdued and kind of sneaky at the beginning, and then you kind of see it as it goes. Like, and again, especially looking back on it thirty years, it's like that's Jackie Chan. Like you're immediately like, oh, that's Jackie Chan. Like, I, I mean, that's no fault in '86, but. I mean, it's a better choice looking back on it now because it would have been distracting. You're like, oh, that's Jackie Chan. Like, that would be, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we look back on this film today and that's Jackie Chan, like, it takes you immediately like, oh, this is a Jackie Chan movie. As I said, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe we think of it that way instead of a Kurt Russell film, which would be weird. I guess. I just, I mean, we've all seen Rush Hour, right? Oh, yeah. So just imagine what this would be like if you were to think about how he interacts with Chris Tucker in rush hour. Yeah. I mean, those are, yes, yes. They're, to they're totally different films, but you got two big personalities who are kind of going at it. 
And I think the difference here is that um, Dennis Dunn is so good and Kurt Russell is so good in their chemistry. They give and take off of each other. They yeah, let they're not trying to one up each other the whole yeah. time. Yeah. And, and I really, I think rush hour is a good example of Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan work well together in those films, but I, they're, you, they're just bigger than life in terms of their personality and what they can do. And I think the chemistry between Dennis Dunn and Kurt Russell works so well because each one of them is, I mean, Dennis Dunn is playing up Jack Burton and then turning around and sort of in a, in a subversive way, you know, saving the day, mm -hmm. right? But then doesn't draw attention to himself almost. <laughs> Whereas I think with the, you know, Jackie Chan, I, I don't I don't know if Jackie Chan could have pulled off what Dennis does. I can't believe I'm saying this, actually. I think my, wow. my wow. brain is trying to shut down. But I, I don't think I don't think Jackie Chan could do what Dennis Dunn did from a performance standpoint. He definitely could not. <laughs> I agree. I mean, and I think this film is the most epic bromance ever filmed. These dudes, like, I know he's like only going along because he wants his money. He makes sure he gets his money, but he he wants to hang out with Wang. Like, that's an excuse just to hang out with Wang. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I I think if if there's a romantic um, angle to this film. It's it's Jack Burton and Wang. They're sleeping oh, yeah. together in that truck. They're not. No, no, no. They're not, it's, it's bromance. Okay. <laughs> I mean, think think about the ending when they say goodbye. Right. We we really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't we, Wang? No horseshit, Jack. I, I mean, I somebody's chopping onions in the room when that comes on because I think that is more powerful than anything in the Notebook. That ending. <laughs> it's it's so touching because he's not going to kiss the girl. But man, he has that connection in that moment with his best. I mean, it's his best friend. Oh yeah, and and they really shook the pillars. I mean, dude, it gets you right here. That's a total guy moment. No, I get it. Um, what do you what do you guys think about Kim Cattrall, Gracie Law? She did good. I think she did like what she was set to do in the film. Like she did well. But I didn't. I never found a moment to where I was like, oh my god, she did this amazingly. Like how Jack Burton would like subtly do stuff. Right. I never found her doing something subtly. Subtly. Okay. It was just more of just, yeah, you did what you did. Okay. What about you, Brash? Strong disagree. Kim Cattrall's perfect in this movie. <laughs> um, the only thing, the only yeah. problem I have is, is her name is Gracie Law and she's a lawyer. I don't like, I don't like that. <laughs> is it too obvious <laughs> but, for you? Yeah. Yeah. It's like two on the nose, but no, I think she's amazing in this film and I buy like Kurt Russell and, and her definitely had some chemistry going on and, I don't blame them. I mean, they're two attractive people, but I think she's pretty spot on in this movie. And she does like the kiss and then wipe off the, the lipstick because you're going to go fight. You know, I, I think it's I think it's great. I I'm kind of with Brad on this one. <laughs> I think she is as much a, of an equal in this film as Jack Burton and and Wang. I mean, she's a major player. I, I love that she holds her own in the bravado department. Um, she's a she's a great counterpart to Jack Burton, mm -hmm. uh, and I also like the fact that she doesn't act like a damsel in distress. Oh yeah, so, yeah, because we have we have one of those. We don't need another one. So <laughs> for her to kind of be like on it a little bit more is is a little bit more welcoming to you know just because she's getting things done. You know, she marches in there and is not taking crap from people, and so it's nice to see her kind of be a strong female. Because we have that damsel in distress. I don't want another one. And I, I think that's kind of a big deal for 1986. 
I mean, if you think about movies in the eighties, Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I mean, um, to have Kim Cattrall sort of step up and I, I don't know, she just goes toe to toe with everybody. And, uh, I, I find that refreshing even, even, you know, from today's standards. So, um, and that, that leads us to talk about, I, you, look, it, you can't have an amazing action adventure film unless you have an amazing villain. I mean, the villain has to be <laughs> as incredible as your hero or else it's just an okay film. We're talking about a perfect film here. Yeah. So that brings us to, to James Hong. I, I don't know about you guys. I can't think of a cooler villain entrance than David Lopan, especially with the three storms. And I love the fact that Lopan is so freaky, especially as the old guy mm-hmm. to the young sort of ghost. Um, and he, he goes from manacle just to reserved effortlessly. And it doesn't feel like a weird switch. I mean, in the transformation and the makeup, it, it's just top notch. I don't know what you guys think, but I, I think James Hahn, it, again, is as perfect as Kurt Russell in this thing. Oh, a thousand percent down. agree. Hands down. I mean, like, even when he transformed, like, the bright white light and, like, the special effect when he was transforming into his younger self, like yeah. the ghost thing, that was like, I was like in love with that. I was just, that's amazing. And then he just like kind of just goes through walls and is just full of himself. And he's like, once I get this power, I'm going to rule the universe. So I got you're, you've seen as, I mean, tons of movies, stuff like that. But mm-hmm. do you think the special effects for that stuff still hold up um, compared to today? Uh, since I love 80s movies, so I'm a little bit biased towards this. I absolutely love the special effects in this movie. I thought they were fantastic. Okay, cool. Dude, I, Old David Lopan, when he is old man in the chair, is some of the best comedy. I've. It's so funny. I know I. I probably laugh a little too much because it's an old Chinese man and he's you know talking to Jack Burton and there are things you should not understand and I just it's so funny. It's so funny and the the fact that he can pull off both of those is like amazing. It's. I'm sorry, we are gushing way too much, but <laughs> no, like, it's, it's perfect. I mean. You're, you're right. It just that whole little sequence um, with the big showdown, which we'll probably talk in detail. But when he picks up the knife and he just, yeah, you know, it's a nice knife. I mean, how he delivers those lines it, is great. But the fact again that he can go from this little old man in the wheelchair, just you know, that evil, I don't know, villain with that laugh and everything else, to go to this confident, I don't know, ghost walking dude. I, I'm. It's it's seamless and, and you buy it and he's in 12 foot form. tall. He's 12, seven. Um, <laughs> yes. so I, 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 can we agree? Every performance is pitch perfect. Yeah. Even the guys, the, the, the three storms, I mean, they're all kind of unique and different and I, even those are awesome, you know, and they're so good that, you know, video game character is, is based on them. So it's like, you know, this thing has it all. Well, and Carter Wong, every time he takes like one of those, deep like breaths oh, that he's yeah. gonna i mean i get intimidated with just his breathing well um, and then it comes back to <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no i i think every performance is pitch perfect i th- i think it all works so well together you know eddie even in the background when he's delivering lines uh no one no one ruins any of the chemistry like everybody mm-hmm. just works so well together I mean- even a character like Margot, who you should not really care about, like at the end of the movie, you care about Margot. Like that yeah, should yeah. that should be like a tagline of this movie. Like <laughs> you will care about Margot at the end of this movie, but well, you shouldn't. Well, that's a good point. I mean, I, if you take one person out, even Margot, it doesn't work. That's mm-hmm. how 
good of an ensemble cast it is, which I think leads me to the next um, thing I want to ask you guys about, which is the the script. I I think the script is so good, but you need a great ensemble cast to deliver the lines in this script. I, I want to pick up on something you said early, which is <laughs> you can't you can't have your phone on you or you can't be distracted watching this film. This script is something out of a Howard Hawks or Preston Sturgis forties comedy, like his girl Friday or unfaithfully yours. I don't, I don't think you've seen those yet. No, but I need to. Okay. What about you, Brad? Have have you seen some of those older? Yes. Okay. So it's, it's smart and fast. It has that same sort of zippy dialogue. You got to keep up. Um, and I can't think of a set of actors or actresses today who would have the talent to deliver lines like they do in this film or even in those older films. Mm-hmm. I, I guess the couple I can think of might be Steve Carell or Emma Stone because of um, Crazy Stupid Love. I think they do a good job in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like you said, th- this film, the dialogue just comes at you and you got to pay attention to it. And I think there's a story that one of the executives had gotten up to take a phone call for like 10 or 12 minutes <laughs> And when they came back, they're totally lost for the entire film. And I, I can totally, and then all of a sudden they go, well, I don't like this movie. And I can totally see that if you're, if, if you're watching this film, you got to put your phone away. Mm-hmm. I mean, you agree. And, and so you think that's why like 14, 15 year old kids today couldn't get into it. Is, is that it's, it's mostly cause like a lot of films today are just like, they slow down for the audience because of how distracting the out, out world is. And so they like slow down the comedy and they really just make the comedy the center of focus if that's what the scene calls for. But with this film, like every actor does really good or perfect. And so you can't, ha- and that uh, really reflects off the script because the script is amazing, but it's very quick and cut. Yeah, I, I think I can see that. Like most films today. Well, and it's subtle too. Like subtlety is lost now. Yeah, oh, that, yeah. that is true. Subtlety yeah. is a lot. Well, the subtlety of their performance in conjunction with the lines. But I, I, I think I agree with you because if you think about comedies today, let's, let, you know, take this movie as a, as a comedy. This is not giving you room to laugh Mm-mm. because it's on to its next line or the next sequence or the next face kick. Well, then it's got like a monster coming out of the wall. You know, it's like we're going to have this comedy comedic moment and then like some dude is going to get eaten by a big giant spider thing. And you're like, well, well, okay. Like it's, you know, there's so many directions this thing goes that it can be jarring. I I agree. And and I'm, I, I think I agree with you, Cameron. Like it's most modern day films today. It's here's your spectacle. Pause. Look at it. Oh, slow motion. We're walking away from the explosion. Right. Um, the big steel beam fight in the air and, mm-hmm. oh, we got to take a minute to, to take it all in. Or here's my joke and then I'm going to have a pause or a beat for a person to respond to it. But in this film, they're making jokes and they're going on to the next line or to the next thing. And you could be laughing, but you've got to like, okay, I, I got to just push the laugh down for a minute <laughs> because I got to listen to the next line of dialogue uh and i'll be curious like when you go back and watch his girl friday start start with that one mm-hmm. um it, it's an amazing film um yes. and, it, and then like um we'll we'll pick out some preston sturgis for you to look at too like <laughs> sullivan's travels or stuff like that but mm-hmm. i i think i think you'll love his girl friday but it's one of those again put your phone away it's it's a screwball comedy and uh you got to pay attention to it and i think that's why i love this one because it 
I feel like this film could have been made in the 40s mm-hmm. in, in terms of the dialogue. Obviously, the special effects wouldn't have been yeah. as cool, but <laughs> I think we're all action ex- experts, maybe. We've seen a lot of action films. Yeah, yeah Brad, I think so. <laughs> I got my degree in action, yes. Okay, good. Um, what did you think about the action choreography? The action was surprisingly good if you look at the movie as a whole. Like, even like that first like big battle, even if you just look at the background, it's still like just you're just enjoying the action no matter what. And the alley like, fight? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like when you see someone's face get smashed into a brick wall, you actually were like, <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> or when you put a the dude board. gets his arm broken, like oh, yeah. I was oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, my favorite is putting the board behind the guy's head and then <laughs> kicking his head through the board. Um yeah, I mean, I, I I was curious, you kind of growing up in a household where you've grown up on 80s and 90s mm-hmm. Hong Kong action, it it's it's not that, right? But it's 80s American martial arts film action. It's actually really good. I, I think yeah, it's a, a little bit more beefier, but it, mm-hmm. it's it's different, but it's still fun. Um, you know, like the, the jumping in the air sword fight is still, I think, holds up really well and is really fun. There's moments where you know jack's got a gun and you're like okay he's just gonna shoot the gun and then more guys keep coming and then you you get like both world you get the you know the american we're gonna use a gun sort of deal to deal with these bad guys and then uh wang will come in and kind of mop up the rest of the guys and um i I like that too because you have jack just firing off a gun and you know the indiana jones thing where the guy's you know, got a whip or whatever, and Indiana Jones just shoots him. Um, so we get to play on that a little bit. Yeah, James Liu does a fantastic job with the choreography. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I like your comment, Cameron, uh, because I think you and I talked about this the first time we watched it, because I yeah. watched it a couple times this week. And you had made the comment about, hey, I, the stuff going on in the background, it looks like they're they're doing choreography as much as the foreground. Mm-hmm. And so I'm on my yeah, the second. large scale, like everything is like a bigger scale than you think it is like that alley fight. There's a lot of stuff going on. Like you see the main guys, but there's still people in the background doing stuff um, to get that all coordinated is got to be difficult. Yeah. I, and I really, I guess, never noticed it until you pointed that out. So the second time I'm watching what was going on in the background and going, wow, they're doing some complicated stuff as much as what's going on in the main focal point. And to your point, Brad, I think they do a great job of editing and camera work to incorporate dummy heads and dummy arms and legs and and breaking and stuff. But it gives you a chance to see what the actor is going to do in terms of like full power. Um, And they're they're not going to do in Hong Kong where it's like, oh, actually, I want you to hit me in the face Mm -hmm. and, you know, we'll put baby powder and stuff like that. So they put a dummy's head up there and you can (laughs) kick that. But the, but there's stuff, um, especially in the big final sequence. Some guy like kicks another guy in the head three times, mm-hmm. and the camera does not break away from that. That's not quick editing, and I'm like, that's really impressive. But the choreography is fantastic, and I love that you get some wuxia action in the swordplay between Wang versus Rain, and it's so much fun. Oh yeah, I, I don't know. I was I was impressed. I I always when you grow up on. I don't know, Jackie Chan, Donnie Yen, Sammo Hung, Yun Biao, that kind of stuff, Michelle Yeoh, and you go back to watch American 80s f- action films, I'm always impressed at how well Big Trouble in Little China holds up. Mm-hmm. James Liu does a, a fantastic job with it. Um, camera work. Dean Cundy, John Carpenter. What do you guys think about this part? Again, <laughs> broken record, but I mean, it's... I, 
I, I can't think of a scene or a shot that's like, no, I don't like that. Or I, everything is right. I mean, again, they just get it right. And, and it's, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't, I want to be more critical, but I can't be. <laughs> like there's no uncomfortable shots or anything like that. Where like, maybe if you put it a little bit more to the right or up top, it would have been, it looked a little bit better. You're like, Oh, this is where it's supposed to be. Definitely. I, yeah. And there's stuff that surprises me even today, as many times I've seen it. I love the camera shot in the parking garage where the camera is racing up to Jack and Wang. And then you get that cutaway of her in the trunk. I mean, the camera angles, the editing and the pacing of just that parking garage escape, it just blows my mind. And I'm even with- the reverse, the reverse shot that they had to do. Did you read about the reverse yeah. shot? So like even that, like even knowing that that's a reverse shot, it still is hard to notice that like the car is, that they're playing that backward or, you know, they're playing it backwards and the car was actually pulling away from them and all this stuff. It's, it, that's amazing to me that they pulled that off. And even knowing how, you know, the sausage is made in that scene, <laughs> you still know, and you can't really see it. It's, it's that good. I, and I think it helps that the environments in the set design are so top notch. I mean, think about Chinatown and how they present it in the film, but then you get, under Chinatown and you get these things like the hell of up down centers, which is still to this day, freaking creepy when they're swimming through all those bodies that are hanging upside down. Uh, David Lopan's office looks awesome. The tunnels underneath Chinatown where you got the creatures coming out of the, the holes and everything, the ceremony hall with the neon mixed with Asian Mm -hmm. sort of architecture. Um, And then even the tunnels with the underground fortress, I know to your point, Brad, you, you know that that's either a map painting or it's a model or it's scaled down and the hallway really doesn't go back that far. Mm-hmm. But I can't figure out where the start and stop of that practical yeah. effect is. It looks so cool. But to your point, Cameron, combined with the camera work and the set design, I can't think of a sequence or scene where I'm like, wow, I wish they moved the camera this way or they did something different. And there's there's too many times where I'm just like, wow, that's, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Just... Um, over the uh, brothel house when the three storms come in and as they're leaving, you've got this shot where you've got the green ball of light and you see, um, I think it's, uh, it's rain is like flying off to the side. Oh yeah. If if you look at everything, you see it all in focus and shot and what's going on and it makes total sense. I mean, the hardest part of an action film a lot of times is there's a lot of stuff being thrown on the screen and you don't know if the person's coming from the left or from the right or what's going on, but I mean, this this thing's filmed so beautifully, you as a viewer are never kind of left guessing what's happening. Uh, monsters? Yeah. Can we talk about Yeah, you have the special effects. Yeah. Oh, my I mean, God. Those were fantastic. Even just, like, the floating eye, eye uh, <laughs> bundle of eyeballs, that was just awesome. The Guardian? Oh, yeah. Is yeah, the Guardian is, is a... Uh, I think it would have to be my favorite one just because, like, you see it has a mouth. You're like, oh, maybe it has one normal thing about it. Opens the mouth, has an eyeball. Eyeball on it. Yeah, it's <laughs> disgusting. But it's it's so well done. Even, I, again, they shot this in the 80s. They didn't expect us in 30 years to be watching this in, like, you know, high definition. And that stuff just holds up. Like, that, the Guardian looks good today. I think it's the coolest thing in this film I, I, I like the monster a lot i like the monster a lot the the chinese wild man the yaren yes yes okay the big hairy creature so it's it's kind of like the chinese wolfman right it's a it's based on the yaren which is uh in chinese folklore but i i, I think he's cool too 
But man, I love that guard. I think the reason why I like the guardian more is it, it reminds me of the beholder from Dungeons and Dragons kind of growing up on that. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's me getting really nerdy, but um, yeah, between that and the coolest thing about the Blu-ray edition now is you get a much better look at that sewer monster, which is like a angler fish mixed with a fly it mixed looks like with a, a toad. It looks like a fish mixed in with an ant. <laughs> Yeah, or that. I mean, it's got spider. I, I guess maybe I was thinking spider, but and, yeah, bug, bug with fish. Like it's weird. It's so cool though in high definition. <laughs> like, I I guess I never really paid enough attention to the detail of it until you actually see it on you know Blu-ray on on a big screen, mm-hmm. um, and all of a sudden going, oh my gosh, look at the detail work on that. I mean, the creature effects on this. It's it's why I think I I'm with you, Cam. I love '80s films for the practical effects, especially for stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also love the fact that um, special effect wise, I, I'm trying to think like none of the special effects cheapen the film. If that well, makes sense, I mean the practical the practicalness of of the of the special effects, like the thing, allow you to go back to it, and it makes the film hold up a lot better than if this was made 10 years later and they tried to do primitive CGI, that stuff would not hold up as well as it does today. So, you know, we got lucky that this wasn't made in the nineties cause they would screw it up. It was made in the eighties. They did practical and Carpenter knows how to do that stuff. Um, and the creature design and the way they pulled it together makes it to where in 2021, I can watch big sharp and little China and still be blown by blown away by some of the stuff that I'm seeing. Well, even when thunder at the end is blowing up, yeah, and you get the sort of I don't know Looney Tunes, uh, yeah, <laughs> stuff coming out of his ears and his nose, and then the big sound effect, and it looks like just garbage is coming out <laughs> yeah. of that hallway. Absolutely love that. Oh, uh, my favorite thing about the monsters is when Kurt Russell shoots the Guardian twice, and then you go back and see the Guardian later, and he's like licking his bullet wounds with like this tongue eyeball, and that was my favorite like attention to detail about that. <laughs> I told yes, that's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, you know, hey, you never know. Yeah, that's right. Try. So we've done nothing but gush over this thing. So I mean, I just want to go through my favorite scenes. <laughs> I, okay. Um I do you, do you guys have any that just come to um the beginning alley scene, the alley fight. I love uh, when I like the entire intro to it, like you think the like the two clans are like bad and like or like the one clan is just unstoppable and then like Kurt Russell is just hiding in his truck with his knife like acting all <laughs> tough but like shaking and then like at the end of the fight and like the fight is just brutal all around and at the end of it they all like get scared of like the three gods who come in and like they're all just carrying together and so like that badness just goes away from them I, I did that whole alley sequence is freaking amazing yeah I agree again that you know, then you got the brothel scene. Like, again, you're like, okay, I'm on board for this. Like, you've got me. Hook, line, and sinker. Like, those two scenes, plus the CB radio at the beginning. It's like, I don't care what you do after this. I am in for this ride. Mm-hmm. I absolutely just bust out laughing during the Cracker Jack timing speech. Sim- <laughs> simply because they do this big speech of, like, it's going to take Cracker Jack timing. And they're like, yeah, we got to go in there and do this. <laughs> They just walk in with a phone. Phone. Kurt Russell's just got a phone and tells the guards that they're from the phone company. And the guards are like looking at them, looking at each other. And 
I love that Jack and Wang think it worked. Oh yeah, and they go in there, and obviously it didn't. But I I love that type of comedy to where you've got this sort of bravado mentality that's gonna just save the day. And they walk in, and all of, all of a sudden the guards are like, "Well, yep, let's just go ahead and click this button, and we're gonna drown them in the elevator." My my favorite sequences kind of happen in the middle of the film that are just more memorable, more memorable to me, and it's uh, Jack Wang and Eddie's escape. That that whole sequence I love, but. They're trying to take out Carter Wong and then Jack going backwards in the wheelchair. And then that leads up to them kind of standing there trading guns. I oh, mean, yeah. That whole sequence is just comedic gold. You guys got any others? I got a whole list here. <laughs> Go ahead, Cam. Is there anything else? Uh, I love the end battle. But even just leading up to it, there was this one shot that had the main villain and the giant statue in the back and a little bit of a guy in the left corner that I thought was just perfect. Like my favorite shot. Oh, wow. I, the, I love that the skull has an like neon outline, neon green outline. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's fit. Totally unneeded, but it just looks awesome. Um, I like the torture scene with the rubber red balls. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's always ridiculous. I've always like, why? But I, okay, I've, I'm on board. But why? Well, he sells that punch, man. Yeah, he really goes to the ground. I love um, during the escape in the warehouse opening the door, seeing all the bad guys and Kurt throws his knife to the side. Wayne takes care of everybody. I mean, to me that if you wanted to pick a scene that represents this film, to Mm -hmm. me, that's the scene. Yeah. It it totally encapsulates everything that you get in terms of the deconstruction, the comedy, the action. I mean, there's, there's really good martial arts going on in there. And and of course you were talking about the big showdown. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nothing. God, when, when he comes out of that elevator, and has that lipstick all over his face and even on his teeth as he's giving his big monologue. And again, it goes back to what I was talking about. You've got this character that is always just keeping you on your toes. I mean, he's, he's always running against your expectations. So you get to the big showdown, comes out of the elevator, he's got this lipstick and you think, okay, this idiot, you know, Wang's going to come in and save the day but you get that classic throws the knife, misses mm-hmm. it. And then, you, and it's all in the reflexes. That whole thing has an amazing payoff. Oh yeah. Again, I challenge anybody to have <laughs> a line that's given at the beginning of the film that has a better payoff than in the big climax. I, it just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. This, this takes the cake. So I misremembered the knife catch. I had always remembered before I watched it this time that he did like the two hands and caught it like that and then threw it back, but he just catches it one hand and then immediately throws it back. I always had remembered that he did like the sandwich thing where he catches it in between his hands and then throws it back. So I don't know where I got that. They do that in the ninja movies with the swords. Okay. Maybe that's where I got it from. <laughs> Cause every time they're trying to like slice somebody, then somebody takes the two hands and catches the sword yeah. that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do. I do want to also shout out the when he's calling the insurance company for his uh, truck. I think that is some of the best comedic stuff in the movie as well. Yeah, I, like I really like. I really like the comedy in this movie. I think it's like you can't go like with this movie without talking about how funny it is. And I think those moments with Old Man Lopan, uh, Kurt Russell on the phone, and in the brothel, like those are funny moments. Like really, really funny moments. Him just arguing with the people in the background. Like this morning I was watching, I was trying to listen to that only. And I was just cracking up at what he was saying. And then uh, 
my I think my <laughs> one of my favorite funny moments in this movie was the elevator scene. It's just the entire like all five six of them are just like you know just laughing and just smiling like have the biggest smile and it's just amazing and just one dude in the front just oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually he's just ah oh, it it just it reminds me of the the dad who has like a station wagon full of kids in the background and he's just about added up to here. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, with you. You think he was going to turn that car back around? I, I think so. <laughs> um, God, everything. So did, does this movie just like fly by? Oh yeah. It, it feels like a 15 minute film every time I watch it. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons like it's so rewatchable is like once you're in it and then like they're at the showdown with, you know, at the very end and you're like, Oh, where did this time go? Like it, things just go like there is no, like when I say there's no fat on this movie, there's not five seconds. You could cut out of this movie to where it's like, makes sense. There is, uh, there's so many funny moments in this film that when I watched it this morning, when they find like the paper wall that has like the elevator <sighs> hidden behind it in his office, just like it's, there's a wall there. Uh, well, and it just cuts it open. <laughs> it doesn't try to find the switch or anything to open it. It just cuts it. <laughs> That's where they get their one F word. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, they do. Huh? F it, and then cuts right through it. Yeah. No, I, I, this, this movie. I don't know. I, it's, it's all attitude to a certain degree. In that, I, trying to articulate this, but it's, it has this self confidence. I mean, for this film, I almost treat it like a person. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's just, it's this person that you met in 1986 and you're like dude that guy's really funny um and you just always want to hang out with them and they have this attitude and they're promising to be super funny and they're promising to do all these amazing things like you said on the movie poster you look at that movie poster it's promising a lot of stuff and it delivers on all of it Mm -hmm. and that's that's why i love this film so much i mean it's a fantasy martial arts action comedy western yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It, you're right. It's a Western martial arts drama, comedy, action, horror. It's got. Oh yes, horror. horror yes, 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 yes. It, it's got everything. Um, now, can, can I ask you a question, Troy? Yes. And you're gonna get mad at me. I know no, you are. Never. Now never. you said this film. You said this film was perfect. Perfect. And it, during our discussion, I I initially was like, no, because I I think there's like maybe five perfect films because like. There can't be that many perfect films because like if everything's perfect, then nothing's perfect. But now sitting here talking to you and and thinking about like, what would I change about this movie to make it better? Or what choice should they have made to make this movie better? And there's not like, there's really nothing. So maybe it is like, I put it up there with like Goodfellas and Pulp Fiction and Citizen Kane. Like, I know that sounds ridiculous, but like, what about this movie would you make different to, to where it would be better. Not even like the acting choices, like you could change and make it any better. <laughs> I I agree. Well, Cameron, you just watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which mm-hmm. is considered, I don't know, Brad, what like one of one of the greatest films of the 70s. I mean, from a dramatic standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean you, see, award-winning you, see li- you see list of top 50 films of all time. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is usually in the top 20 to 25 easily. So you you watched that recently. So mm-hmm. you, you've watched this film that just has this notoriety, has this weight, gravitas behind it. And all the critics and all the people who love movies are going to go to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and say, yeah, that's one of the best of the best. Would you consider Big Trouble in Little China to be on the same level 
as one flew over the cuckoo's nest? I would say it's actually better than one flew oh. over the cuckoo's nest. Like, I love that film. It's really good. But I would watch this a lot more than I would that. And I would have a better experience with uh, Big Trouble than One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So let me ask you this. Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo... Uh, did, did he win an Academy Award for that? I believe he did, yes. Okay, so Nurse Ratchet, and I can't remember her name... But you've got two iconic characters in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which between Jack Nicholson and for the life of me, I cannot remember the actress's name that uh, plays the nurse, which is sort of the villain of the story. Oh, is it Louise? Uh... Flet- Fletcher? No? Fletcher, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. Fletcher, yes. So if those are just some heavyweight performances. <laughs> do, do you think a Kurt Russell, Jack Burton performance is in that caliber. See, I think the, the, it, it's actually just perfect. Like you can't get anything because <laughs> he does everything subtly and just well, and he adds on to the character rather than just playing the character. And uh, with one flew over the cuckoo's nest, like they all, like you obviously w- could tell that they all had a certain role to fill. And so like they filled it well. Some people went over, like I, I, I hated the nurse in that film. I, I despised her. But you're supposed to. But you're supposed to. Yeah. And so, but I never really saw her add more to the film as an actress. Like she did really, really good in it. But I don't think she did better than what Jack Burton could do. You know. Wow. <laughs> so, I usually don't do any sort of research or looking at stuff while we're recording. But I had to for one for Lila Cooper because nice. <laughs> Nominated for nine Academy Awards, won five. Best, best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, uh, best screenplay adapted. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's some pedigree right there. It is. Um, I'm kind of with – so I'll say this, Cameron. I, I love One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's an, it's an amazing dramatic film. I think yeah. it's an important film. I would put Big Trouble in Little China in the same caliber – as something like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's. Now, it's an entirely different film. It's going for something entirely different. But what makes Jack Nicholson's performance so good is it's nuanced. It's mm-hmm. you. It's so memorable. And, mm-hmm. you, and he delivers the lines, and you don't see Jack Nicholson, but you see that character. And I, I kind of take Kurt Russell's performance and go, it should get the same amount of praise and accolade. And to your point earlier, Brad, I think it's criminal that this thing would have such a lower um, score on any kind of review aggregator that whatever one flew over the cuckoo's nest is, is ranking. Mm-hmm. I would say that big trouble in little China has to be in that same caliber. In yeah. my opinion. Um, I mean, Jack, I'll tell you one thing too. I'm not doing. I'm not watching one flew over the cuckoo's nest two days in a row. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's never going to happen. Yeah. yeah. But Jack Nich- Nicholson did a phenomenal, I think he probably did the best in that film in my opinion. Yeah. But like, he really added on to the character, but I don't think the nurse added on too much rather than Jack Nicholson. You think so. she's a little one note? Yeah. Just, okay. Just because like, she did the same thing throughout the entire film rather than Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson was everywhere because that's where he's supposed to be. He's just supposed to be everywhere. <laughs> well, she's, I mean, if I remember, I need to go back and revisit it. I haven't seen it for a while, but I think what makes her so good is because she, she, She's so memorable at being mm-hmm. bad um, and unlikable, and yeah. I, I think that's why she got that Academy Award. But it, it's the complete opposite with Kurt Russell, where he's he's so memorable at 
being a sidekick who doesn't know he's the sidekick, <laughs> um, but you just you're rooting for him, mm-hmm. even though he, he on his own is is not going to get through the day. You still want to see him beat all the odds, um, and I think you love the his bromance with Wang. Oh yeah. Um, and again, I mean, it this 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 is better than the Notebook on that level. I think. Oh yeah. <laughs> A romance you can get behind. I can. I can get behind this romance. Um, what else, Cameron? I know you took a lot of notes. Was there anything that we didn't um, uh, get to? Because I, I, I saw you. Uh, I was watching you watch this film the second time around, and you, you were deep into it. <laughs> I think we got everything. I mean, it's a lot of just what we said. And uh, Kurt Russell, just facial facial expressions were just on point. Oh, my God, yeah. I, I could... It's one of the films that I think I could probably watch on mute mm-hmm. and really just enjoy watching Kurt Russell emote. <laughs> He's so good at it. We didn't talk about the soundtrack. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. The music. Music. Oh, music. The music is uh, – there's a reason why I have two copies of this on vinyl. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, the reason you have it is you're insane, but yeah, it it's also happen. good. Yeah, but – uh, as soon as that music kicks in with the title sequence oh, yeah. and that truck is coming over, and the, the truck is going up the hills, yes. which he's you driving in the middle it. of the road, by the way. Yes. <laughs> you just feel it the whole way through. Yeah, I, man. The music really just accentuates all of the action in the scenes mm-hmm. and gets you pumped up, man. And, um, so I got to ask you this, one of the things that's on the Blu-ray and I totally forgot about this when we saw this in the theaters in 86 and you'd go home and, and you'd watch MTV. And at mm-hmm. that point, MTV was actually playing music, right? So for one of the uh, one of one of the promotional items was that John Carpenter shot a video for the Big Trouble in Little <laughs> China theme song, which plays at the end of the film mm-hmm. over the credits. You know, uh, we're gonna run run through that yeah. one, right? So John Carpenter is actually singing, and I and uh, what did you think about that last song? Fantastic! I, it hurt me to turn take it out of the Blu-ray and to <laughs> just not listen it through the whole way through to get to the podcast now. Okay, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I yeah, can't disagree. Again, we talked about the music. I'm just going to be gushing over here for another 10 to 20 minutes. I mean, the, the soundtrack, the, the music adds so much to this movie. Again, we talk about that, the Porkchop Express going over the uh, the hills at the very beginning of the movie in the rain and and that music kicking in, you're it's like, okay, I'm all aboard with the Porkchop Express. Here we go. Um, and you, it was funny. There's like a lot of foreshadowing and, you know, in the rain, the thunder, the lightning, mm-hmm. oh, obviously yeah. yep. talking about the gods. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's just really smart about this movie too. So, so this has one last thing I want to get you guys' opinion on is the ending. Oh, the monster, the monster. Oh yeah. What? So cam, you, you get wrapped up nice little bow, you know, the, the good guys take care of the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Jack Burns riding off. And he's talking about, uh, I, I love his last speech because he's referencing mm-hmm. the thunder, the rain, the storms, everything else. Uh, and then you, the, the final shot is, you know, really your, your, your Chinese wild man has, mm-hmm. has stowed away and he pops out at the back of the semi. What'd you think of that? I was like, I would like more, please. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I just wanted more after that. I was like, okay, well, is Jack Burton going to die from that monster? Just going it, ripping into the truck. I'm mean, most likely not, but <laughs> yeah, of course not. Jack Burton's going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, did the eighties, the eighties love to do that thing. I mean, 
you know, Back to the Future did it to where it's like, okay, we're going to tease our sequel at the beginning at the end of our movie. And here we go. And then of course they tease that and still waiting for that sequel. But you know, it's kind of a cool thing to just kind of feel like that world is still going, you know, like right. yeah. it didn't end with the movie end. So um, I like it. It's a little jarring, I think. But if you go into it thinking like, oh, Jack Burton is out there and that monster, you know, maybe he defeated that monster when he stopped to get gas or something. I don't know. <laughs> would have been like to see that, but whatever. Well, I would encourage everybody to go and read the Big Trouble in Little China comics that I think Boom Studios did. Uh, yeah, Boom Studios. Yeah, they picked up right where that scene ends. And it's surprising what they do with it. So the the comics do a really good job of keeping the humor mm-hmm. and the characters going. Um, so if, if you want more Big Trouble in Little China, definitely you know pick those up. Have you played the card game or the board game? I know yes. there's a board so, game and I know there's a card game. Yeah, we we own both. We, we backed the <laughs> miniature board game, played that. It's quite good. Okay. And then the uh, card game is actually based off upper of, deck. Is it upper deck? I think upper does deck. that. Yeah. The, the, there was a Marvel series um, that okay. basically yeah. had a bunch of expansions and they did a big trouble in China. They'd done one for aliens, serenity, a lot of the Fox properties, predator, et cetera. But yeah, the big trouble in little China card game is really good. Yeah. The deck building game. The serenity one have the theme music uh, card. <laughs> it, if it, if it did, I would negative points. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Before we end the discussion, there's always been talks of rebooting and there's always been sort of talks of like a pseudo sequel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, a little background on that. 2015, The Rap reported that Dwayne Johnson oh was God. developing a remake to star as Jack Burton and produce with the Seven Bucks Production Film Studio. Ashley Miller and Zach Stentz were hired screenwriters. In an interview with Entertainment Weekly, Johnson expressed interest in having Carpenter involved in the film. Carpenter responded, stating, It's very early in the process. I haven't spoken to Dwayne Johnson about any of this. I'm ambivalent about a remake. So that happens in 2015. Internet goes up in arms and like mm-hmm. shuts down for a couple of days because they're like, Are you kidding me? Dwayne Johnson mm-hmm. remaking Big Trouble in Little China. So by August 27th, 2018, um, Seven Bucks Production President Hiram Garcia clarified that the film will be a sequel and a continuation of the previous film. The creative minds behind the new film acknowledge that they have no intention of replacing Kurt Russell by recasting Johnson as Jack Burton, but will make a follow-up movie to the original. That was back in 2018. Nothing else has happened on this sucker. Uh, I'll start with you, Cameron. Um, what do you are your thoughts on a sequel to Big Trouble in Little China? I don't I couldn't see Dwayne doing that and if I did I wouldn't look at him in a good light. <laughs> like Okay, well, cuz Jack Burton isn't really the hero and then The Rock would want to be the hero. Like yeah. that's that's the inverse of the character. Yeah, I just I just don't think I could trust The Rock again with any movie. <laughs> okay, Brad. I same like it's just the rock would have to be the hero. He'd have to be the, the center of the movie. Jack Burton. Yes. Is like middleman on the poster. And is like the biggest thing on the poster, but he's kind of bumbling his way through the, through the film. And Dwayne Johnson couldn't do that. He would have to be the focal point. And if you're doing that, you're missing the point. Yeah. I'm with you hundred percent. I mean, if here's the thing, I don't, 
I don't uh, remake sequels. I, I think all three of us are in agreement. Like we're ambivalent. Mm-hmm. It, you're you're not breaking into my house and taking all my various copies of my film. Or <laughs> twelve copies that you have. <laughs> yeah. So as long as you're not doing that, we're we're good. And I'll go I'll go see it. And if I like it, great. If I don't, it it's not going to take away from my love of the first one. No. If if you had told me though, somebody like Edgar Wright was going to had bought the rights to this and said hey i i want to do a continuation or i i want to do my take on big trouble in little china i'd actually be kind of excited for it mm-hmm. because when i think of hot fuzz or Shaun of the dead i mean edgar wright is very good at deconstructing genres and um you know films like baby driver stuff like that i i love all all of his movies but dwayne johnson i, I think i mean you guys are right it's kind of like he's he's not a jack burton and whatever he's going to bring to the the screen, I don't think it's going to tap into what makes Big Trouble in Little China so good. Yeah. And I, I definitely think the screenplay would be your Jumanji screenplay or something. Mm-hmm. of the, I mean, that's yeah, where the comedy yeah. would go versus um, the subtlety and the rapid firing, the, the Preston Sturgis style screenplay that I think, you know, W.D. Richter actually brought to the to the table on this one. Yeah. I now. Think- the rock if, if, is good but like he's a good actor in some things that he does and some things you know not so good but he can't do subtly i mean just look at him <laughs> yeah that's yeah. true yeah <laughs> i agree with that now like if and i know he said like he doesn't want to kind of go beyond like in his father's footsteps but if wyatt russell like does like hey I'll, I'll be jack burton or something like that maybe i think that could work i see i don't that that's where i disagree i don't I think you just got to leave Jack Burton alone. Mm-hmm. Oh I, yes, I think I think if you're going to do something, leave Jack Burton alone, um, and maybe bring back Lopin or something like that. Or yes. you have to have something to kind of bring it together. But yeah, let Jack Burton be Kurt Russell, and and that's it. I agree. Yeah, I agree. You you can tap into the world. I just I don't know a remake. Again. It, it depends on who's writing the screenplay mm-hmm. if or who's directing. If it's an Edgar yeah. Wright, something like that, I'd, I'd be totally kind of curious about what they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. But, you know, throwing Dwayne Johnson's name on Big Trouble in Little China, it, it makes me throw up on my mouth a little bit. <laughs> um, my body just it gives me that gag reflex. I'm, I'm not a fan. Yeah. Well, final thoughts real quick, Cameron. How, how would you sum up this thing? If you, if you were pitching it to your friends – I, I think you said you've got a birthday coming up, right? Yeah. So you wanted to do an outdoor movie? Outdoor movie by the campfire, Big Trouble in Little China. Okay, so you are you're gonna <laughs> expose your friends to this. Oh, most definitely. Okay, so how how I mean, what are your final thoughts on this film? Uh it's I'm just gonna tell them, put your phones over there and pay attention to it real quick. <laughs> and then just like uh it's it's a movie that has everything and subtlety and just amazing humor as long as you are able to tap into that humor. Okay. I like it. Final thoughts, Brad. Yeah. I I would just say like, if you want a film that you're going to be able to watch and enjoy over and over and over again, like this is one of those films that gets better with each viewing. And it, like I said at the beginning, like it doesn't matter what minute I come in on this movie, I'm sticking around to the very end, regardless. Like it just, I just am. And it's so rewatchable and so, Fun. I know that's like a weird, you know, it's a fun movie, but it is a fun movie to to sit and watch. And that hundred minutes will go by so fast. Mm-hmm. And Kurt Russell is 
just so good in this movie and like I, I it, we're gushing but is <laughs> Troy you've sold me it's a perfect movie and I do when you talked about the opening scene like having our expectations kind of set that you know Jack Burton is this hero that we all owe our lives to and then that's subverted throughout the film I yes you're right you've you've persuaded me yeah. I, I, hey, look. There, you you were right for once. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, this this movie, I, I'm with you both. I mean, this movie works on so many levels. You can watch it strictly from an entertainment value, um, or or have fun basking in its deconstruction of the American action film. I I think this is a fantastic satire too, uh, and and it says a lot. And I love the fact that in 1986, with a mostly Asian cast. They were able to, and, and I, f- I find it interesting that when this came out, a couple of Asian communities were kind of protesting against it because of its portrayal of like Asian gangs, et cetera. But now it's shown as sort of championing like, hey, here's um, Asian characters within an American action film mm-hmm. and they're subverting you know, the traditional action hero of the 80s and, and you've got these Asian characters that are coming to the rescue and they're the heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are catching on to, to what Carpenter was doing at that point. But uh, in my opinion, it's the greatest hybrid movie ever made. It, it blends all of its genres perfectly. The Western, the martial arts, the drama, the comedy, the action, the horror, the fantasy, it it hits every one of those and it doesn't cheapen any of the genres. And it's so much fun kind of weaving the narrative within each and every element. And you you just pick up on it and you bask Mm -hmm. in it. Um, the performances are perfect. The script is perfect. The directing is perfect. It It's a perfect film. I, I, out of all the 50 movies that we've talked about so far on the podcast, to me, this is the number one film that, mm-hmm. that we've talked about. It is it is in my top three of all time. Um, it, and it's one of – we've said this over and over again. It's, it's one of the few films that I can watch over and over, never get bored. I, I think I came down, saw you watching it, sat down and watched like it two, two and a half times or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, so here's the other thing. John, our good friend, has a son who's in college, Bishop, who has Jack Burton-like hair. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> a little bit longer, but yeah. A little bit longer, <laughs> but it's cool. So I, I asked John the same thing because I'm always curious, like, hey, is, is this just a bunch of dads forcing their love of a film <laughs> on their kids? Or, you know, do, do the kids actually like it? So you came on, expressed your love for mm-hmm. it. So Brad and Cameron, I just want to play a little audio clip that John and Bishop sent in so we can hear about, you know, what's the college scene think? <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure, if, if a guy's cutting his hair like Jack Burton, I, I think he likes it. So um, real quick, this is, this is a little clip that was sent in from our good friends, John and Bishop. Okay. Bishop, what makes Big Trouble in Little China great? to you honestly i really like the characters and the way they are their personalities really Uh, jack burton he's confident and thinks of himself as a suave ladies man but throughout the movie he finds himself constantly dumbfounded and to me i find that humorous and then wang right his friend uh he appears as like just some harmless guy and then he proceeds to kick butt and he's looking at Jack like, what? Like, what? What? What's the problem? And uh, it's characters like those, really, for me, that I really like about the movie. Having watched Big Trouble in Little China well into your teens, do you think this is a movie that 
kind of stays timeless or do you think because it came out in the eighties, it's dated in the eighties? Or do you think that if anyone were to, who has not seen it, were able to get a copy of it and watch it, would you say they would enjoy it? Personally, I think Big Trouble in Little China being dated as it is will always be a timeless classic. It's it's not a serious movie, really. You're not supposed to take it seriously. And knowing today, I think a movie like that would be very much needed to, I guess, help give some a bit of comedy relief. I mean, we all need that nowadays. Yeah, we absolutely we do. Okay, Bishop, how would you describe Big Trouble in Little China? to anyone who has not seen it a absolute roller coaster of which you don't know when it's going to turn or when it's even going to stop i mean as long as the movie goes on i felt personally that that like it was a roller coaster i didn't i didn't know what was going to happen and honestly you feel like jack burton as well when he's in little china himself i mean every turn he took he found himself surprised He, he couldn't expect really anything at that point it was all spontaneous is what I was trying to say. That's that's how I would describe Big Trouble in Little China. Bishop, is Big Trouble in Little China a bomb? No, not at all. If you haven't watched it, I absolutely recommend you go and watch it. Doesn't matter how old you are. Just get yourself a copy, sit down and watch it. There you go. That's that's uh the youth <laughs> telling you to go watch it, change the world. So Bishop doesn't think it's a bomb. I'm gonna start with you, Cameron. Is it's, Big Trouble in Little China a bomb? It's definitely not a bomb. <laughs> all right. Brad? Not a bomb. Yeah, uh, that makes uh, three. Not a bomb at all. <laughs> it's it's a perfect film. It is a perfect, perfect, perfect movie. 78. 78%. That's why, <laughs> just, yeah, I, I, I don't have a lot of faith sometimes <laughs> in the world when I see that it's not 100%. Everybody should be recognizing that Big Trouble in Little China is the perfect film, and you should be going... <laughs> back and changing all those things to a hundred percent. So, um, Hey, we got some, we got some feedback. We got some interesting feedback in our email. Yes, we did. Can I read it, Brad? Yes, please. Okay. So we had our good friend, Nathan, write in and he says, Hey guys, I've been putting in requests at my local library so that they'll purchase some of the films that seem less available online. This is also because not everyone has the same budget problem that Troy does. (laughs) Okay. Um, it's been a great way to increase the likelihood others will see them and spread the love. Unfortunately, the last couple of requests I made got this response. Thank you for your suggestion. The Phoenix public library is not purchasing at this time since the critical ratings for the item does not meet a 70% rating on imdb.com or rottentomatoes.com. I guess that's not all too surprising since most of them are bombs. I'd like to point out, though, that Tenebrae made the cut. So the Phoenix Public Library (laughs) went out and got a copy of Tenebrae. I love that. Mm. Please keep up the amazing work. It's always fun to hear you guys find even the smallest redeeming pieces of a film. Surprising me when I change my opinion of a film dislike to that was all right. Best, Nathan. P.S. When are you doing Death to Smoochie? Uh, that one's on our we'll list. Get right? a, it'll get around to it. We're getting there. But I, I love this email. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, it cracks me up that your library has some criteria. That it's no, gonna, no bombs. Yeah, it's not going to. But Tenebrae made it. So, well, library one. Yeah. <laughs> a broken a broken clock is right two times a day. Yo, here we go. Um, 
Well, listen, if you want to write in and tell us that Big Trouble in Little China is a perfect film, we will take those emails. Yeah, uh, we're not taking anything that says not, it's not a perfect film. Yeah, if you, you disagree with Big Trouble in Little China being a bomb or something of that nature, there are a lot of other podcasts that <laughs> uh, will will be right up your alley. Um, but Brad, if they want to, if they want to reach out to us and send us an amazing email like Nathan's, how do they do that? That's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Find us there. Do you want to know what we're watching next week? I am curious, um, and and I, I want you to give a little bit of an overview because I don't think Cameron has seen this film. So I, I want you to try and convince him to uh, watch it with me. Ooh, okay. Um, so it's a 1985 black comedy dystopian science fiction film. It's directed by Terry Gilliam, written by Gilliam himself. Um, it is sort of Orwellian in um, theme. Um, looking at like hyper uh, surveillance states, um, state capitalism, things like that. It's called Brazil. Um, it is uh, a very interesting film. Um, it is a huge uh, sort of film in Europe, um, was not very successful in the United States, but uh, Brazil is our film next week. I, I was going to say, it is, a, it is a hard film to recommend um just kind of i don't know i don't know cameron i want you to like me a lot and i don't know if it's just saying hey go watch brazil is um well brad terry gilliam was a part of uh, a group what what group was that oh he's a monty python sorry <laughs> i'm watching it <laughs> okay that's all you had to say is- well okay but like don't go into it thinking like you're getting like monty python Yes, it's not very Monty Python like, but it's very interesting uh, what he brings to the table. So v- mm-hmm. visually, it it is in, it you would you would say Brad, it's it's visually unique in that Terry Gilliam did a lot of animation for some of the like Monty Python, mm-hmm. the Holy Grail, etc. So if you're looking for something that's going to push the envelope in terms of cinematography, visuals, etc., Terry Gilliam's your, your man. And I'm I'm curious because again you would expect somebody from Monty Python to do something Monty Python-ish. <laughs> and there is moments of that in here, right, Brad? Very sort of absurdist yes. Uh, yes. black satire comedy. Mm-hmm. But it's very much a, um, a Orwellian thriller. Yeah. So I, I did find this one quote, and I, I thought of you when I read it. I don't want to give too much away for next week, but I will say this. The most potent piece of satirical political cinema since Doctor Strangelove. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so you think I'm gonna watch Doctor Strangelove this week in order to appreciate Brazil? Did you see that Doctor Strangelove is coming out on 4K? Uh, I I think I own it on 4K. Was it a part of that Columbia <laughs> box set? No, I think this is a different. Well, whatever. Anyway, okay. I also I also, time out. Let yes. me. All right. I also wanted to say happy birthday to you. I was unable to be there for your birthday, but I know you had a really good time next year. I'm coming in. I'm inviting myself to your birthday next year, but (laughs) you're so invited. You're you're having a big, you're having a big year next year. So uh, I'm coming in, but happy birthday. Um, I, you know, you're a great friend and a great dad and I'm glad I get to do this with you every week. So I appreciate uh, you as a human being. And I know I joke that, you know, you're like the nicest guy in the world, but, 
you really truly are. So I, I thank you for your friendship and, you know, just being who you are. Oh, thanks, man. I, yeah, we had a good day yesterday. We, we got to watch hot shots part two. Oh my God. Outside. <laughs> um, I was going to ask what you watched. We also I, saw a lightsaber duel between dad and a friend. Yes. We, we had lightsabers out last night too. It was, it was, good you didn't, it wasn't your really nice one. Was it? I hope not. Uh, no, no, it was, it was, okay. it is mine and my sister's. Yeah. Okay. They're, they have the little stunt sabers. So it was okay. cool. No, we had a good time. We, we got to watch the Jackie Chan movie yesterday. Um, we got Alex from friends with Cinefits had, uh, flown out to Baltimore with his sister Erica to visit. So we got to spend time with them, which is yeah. kind of Cameron's, uh, adopted brother and sister. So, um, we actually dropped them off the airport before we came to a podcast and we just, we had a great time, but yeah, I couldn't ask for a better birthday, uh, having like, uh, my adopted kids and the real kids and the family and everything just all hanging out for a day. So, um, and, and Brad, man, I don't think I could have gotten through a year of a pandemic without being able to, um, just sit down one night a week and talk films. This is, um, I, I don't know. This is my stress relief, man. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Love Agreed. It. Um, Cameron, man, knocked it out of the Bra- ballpark, man. Bravo. Thank you. We really, we really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't we, Cameron? Yes, we did. You know I can't finish that quote. Why can't you finish that quote, Cameron? <laughs> because I'm other. <laughs> um, no, hey, do I do what can what can I say about uh, you and your sister as a dad? I am truly blessed, and one of my favorite things is being able to just watch something like Big Trouble in Little China with you or with Angel and get to relive that whole experience through your eyes and Mm -hmm. talk about it. And I I love the fact that we have so much in common, but at the same time, I really get excited when I come down and kind of find out what you're doing on your own or something. Mm -hmm. You're like, Hey, I decided, uh, heard about this film, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and, and I was going to watch that. And I, I just, I love the fact that you, always want to explore and mm-hmm. you're open-minded I, I mean i'm so proud of you man thank you well it's uh it's mostly because of you <laughs> <laughs> no and you, and you have it available to you which is nice that, that is a fair point <laughs> yeah you you have a lot available but no i just i love the fact that you've you've you you and your sister have always impressed me because um you're never afraid to do something new you, you may try it once and go i don't like it and i don't want to do that again <laughs> But um, I think the fact that you have so many unique people in your life and you attract so many just amazing people is because you're an amazing person. Why, thank you. Well, you're an amazing dad. And I can say that because I'm your kid. Okay, true. Um, And Brazil does not take place in the country Brazil, by the way, Cameron. There's a song that, whatever, but yes. So if you're thinking it's about Brazil, it's not about Brazil. So, so you're going you're to watch it with me this week? Oh, most definitely. Okay, cool. Awesome. All right, cool. I can't wait. What else, Brad? We did it. 50 episodes. I know. We're closing this in This is on our celebration. Year. Yeah. One year is coming up in two weeks. So uh, we've got something planned for that. Um, getting out the Excel spreadsheets for that one. Yeah, I'm excited. So... Uh, Cameron, thank you again for delaying homework on a Sunday <laughs> night to come and talk Big Trouble in Little China. It was your birthday weekend, Dad. All right, it's true. Um, and again, thank you for putting up for the first viewing when I quoted it for like the full 100 <laughs> So I was about to say, this movie sounds a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brad, uh, I, I, 
I don't know. I think I think that's it for today, right? We we pretty yeah. much exhausted this one. We've gushed. Yeah, over it. <laughs> we gushed a lot. Yeah. So listen, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. I man, I'm just hoping you're having an awesome day. And I hope if you haven't seen Big Trouble in Little China, you take a chance on this one. We're all in agreement. We've got you know the old people and the young people and the people not so old or young, they're all in agreement. <laughs> yeah. And the, this, some of us in the middle, <laughs> in the middle, everybody at every age spectrum loves this film. So if you haven't seen it, you got to check it out. Uh, and it will just make your day even more awesome. You have to give it a chance, even if you have a very short attention span. Yes. And like Cameron says, put your phone away. Please. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, with that, we'll chat with you next week when we tackle Brazil. Hope to see you then. Thank you. Have a nice day.